Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name's Jason Carty. My name's Stephen Cockcroft. And we're live on tape from Dublin and Belfast. And we've done it again. We've made it to the end of another year, the end of another season of Nothing Is Real. And this is our 2020 review. This time last year, we did a 2019 review because that's how these things work. And... Um, who could have predicted all the things that have happened in 2020? A Pretty unremarkable year, really. What a, what a fantastic year it's been. <laughs> um, so, yeah, our plan today is just to have a, a laid back look at uh, all the things that did and more importantly, didn't happen in 2020 or that should have happened in 2020. Um, because I think maybe it's a bit of an understatement to say uh, we uh, certain things have landed in our lap that we did not expect this year. You know, particularly ending the year on a new McCartney album, for instance. Yes, yes. Although you predicted that, <laughs> I did. I, I well, I'm always predicting. We're never far away from a from a McCartney album. And if, if you're you, listening if to you say, if you say it often, if you say it often enough, it's fine. So. I'm, I'm going to expect one now every Christmas. Yeah. Um, and if you're listening to us on the day we're putting this out, happy Christmas. Why wouldn't you be listening to us on Christmas Day? It's for, And we're here on Christmas Day doing this on Christmas Day again, you know. Um, so can, happy Christmas. Take, take the trouble to turn up, you know. Yeah. And if you're listening in the future, I, I don't know. I hope that virus hasn't mutated into, <laughs> into some kind of... <laughs> There'll be nobody listening in the future. There'll be nobody in the future. <laughs> some kind of ocean-bound monster has taken over the world. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 2020. Uh, again, was it a good year to be a Beatles fan? It's um, always a good year to be a Beatles it's fan. It's always a good year, no? yeah. yeah. Well, well, let's break this down into the Beatles and, and the solo careers. And actually, if you look at the Beatles themselves as the entity that is Apple Corps and all the rest, we got very, very, very little. Last year, we ended the episode saying, oh, 2020, we'll get the Peter Jackson movie. And yeah, this, it, this it's been be very a, quiet. It was going to be a big year. You know, big 50th anniversary year, uh, lots of hype, lots of uh, multimedia coming down the pipeline, and uh, it's still coming down the pipeline. It is still coming down the pipeline. And, you know, we'd gotten used to the whole 50th anniversary with Pepper in 2017 and the White Album in 2018 and Abbey Road in 2019, and it just seemed logical. But we were still a bit curious about what form it would take, that there'd be some kind of let it be thing, because we knew Peter Jackson's movie was coming. And, uh, you know, it, it, we know a little bit more. It seems to be officially called The Beatles, colon, get back, um, colon, the 
you know, the punctuation, not the word. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> just to be specific there. Yeah, um, that was e- people could easily have mistaken that. That's right. For, I don't uh, want to cause any confusion. And it was originally due out on the 4th of September um, 2020. And back in March, on the 11th of uh, March, it was announced that Disney had acquired the rights, which is an interesting thing. Don't you think? Uh, it's, a worry, you know? it's a worry. That's Why does a worry. it worry you? I don't. Well, you you sort of associate Disney with with very anodyne. Maybe I'm just old fashioned. I'm thinking of Fantasia, you know. But uh, <laughs> you're thinking uh, of those you, Paul and Linda Disney time shows in uh, the seventies. <laughs> yes, uh, just a little bit twee and a little bit saccharine, and and, and uh, you know, there's a lot of con- controversy or potential controversy around the whitewashing or rewriting of history yes. here and just disney getting on board you think you know there'll be no language um there'll be no close-up shots of john punching george in the face and you <laughs> know all that stuff that we thought was going to come out but i think you know disney obviously in the last year of you know reinvented the well not reinvented themselves it was a long time coming but their whole streaming service yeah. you would see that yeah the Beatles colon get back is going to be part of this streaming platform that you expect it to turn up uh, somewhere on, on Disney plus because Disney plus went live in the U S at the end of 2019. And in Europe, literally it came on stream the same month as everything shut down. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to think um, with the developments in the last couple of weeks, but you know, uh, the big movie company saying, yeah, we're going to put this into the cinemas, but at the same time, we're going to launch our own streaming. Yeah. So will we have to go to the cinema to see this or will Disney follow that model and say, well, you can go to the cinema or you can stream it? You know? Yeah. Well, when Disney announced they got the rights back in March, I assumed, oh, Disney plus streaming is going to be part of how this is. And you look at the modern music business and it's interesting. Billie Eilish has uh, an exclusive documentary deal going on to the Apple plus TV platform. Taylor Swift has put her um, latest documentary onto Disney. She put her last one onto Netflix. Um, who else has gone? Beyonce did a big musical thing on Disney this year. So it is a, you know, musicians are doing this kind of specific placement on platforms. But you're right. I think it's HBO Max in the US is putting all yeah. its 2020 Warner's films out on streaming the day that they go into cinemas. And yeah. we're kind of in uncharted territory, really. Well, I mean, I think that this is, this is the end of that model presumably which has mm. been hastened by it's another thing that 2020 has given us you know but, um, <laughs> but i think it doesn't what's interesting is i think it would have been seen that television was kind of a lesser thing if 20 years yes. ago it was going straight to tv people would have said oh dear it must be a bit naff but now i think people are accepting that actually you can get cinema quality stuff launching on streaming on the same day and people are getting entitled to it in some ways well, I, I, yes, that's true. I mean, if it goes straight to TV, it's not—it's no longer just a Vin Diesel movie. <laughs> and you're saying there's something wrong with that? Um, well, we've Disney Plus in our house, and I have to admit, it's a—it's been very popular and useful this year. And uh, I can imagine that, assuming that uh, it ends up there, and Disney Plus has—you uh, know—they've also put stuff out on a premium. So the Mulan movie got bumped from theaters, and it went on to Disney Plus, and you had to pay extra to see it. Yeah. So I don't know whether they're going to go down that route. I doubt it. Um, but yeah, Disney announced that they were taking the rights uh, on the third, which is a distribution rights deal to decide, um, you know, how we get to see it. But then the announcement was made. Um, you know, I think we were all hoping. I certainly know I was one of the people hoping during that first initial wave of lockdown back in April. Well, we'll get a trailer for Get Back soon and that'll yeah. cheer us all up. Or we have Get Back to look forward to. That's still going to happen, right? Uh, and it got uh, postponed on the 12th of June this year and the announcement was made not that it was being pushed forward 
a week or two, but it was being pushed forward an entire year. So in terms of what we've got to look forward to for 2021 and what we'll be talking about next year, the release date is the 27th of August, 2021. That's a long way away. Uh, you know, I hope, I hope we all make it, you know. Um, well, presumably, presumably, you know, you've got a movie, you've got uh, LPs, you've got books, you've got all of this merchandise. There'll be 400 different colored vinyl yeah. versions of a soundtrack. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so all of these things presumably were put on hold. Uh, and then they, there needs to be a sufficient lead in time to get the marketing campaign Re-geared. I think I think I think you're exactly right. I think there's I think this is not just a movie. There's a lot of moving parts, and you know there was talk uh, before the Disney deal that the you know that there was an initial not a rough cut, but kind of, I think it was a couple of minutes of footage of the movie yeah. shown at a, an Academy Awards event back uh, at the start of uh, February, which might have been, I don't know, to, to stir up industry interest. So you'd have to assume that when Disney were acquiring the rights back in March, that if it wasn't finished, it was in a form where you could see what a finished version would be like. So I don't yeah. believe it's been pushed forward a year because it needs a year's work. It's been pushed no. forward a year to tee up the book and the box set. Now, we did get a trailer for the book um, and the book is again called The Beatles Get Back. And uh, it gives us an idea of the look of the project. This, so you can actually go online if you haven't seen it already, folks. And there's a YouTube video of, uh, you know, one of these kind of 90 second jobs where it flips through the book and shows you. It, it, it's really, it, it, first of all, it says on the outside, it's by The Beatles. So it's very nice that Ringo and Paul have been sitting at their word processor getting it all done. No. No, maybe no. not. <laughs> I'm sure Ringo uses a pencil. I'm sure he doesn't have a word process. <laughs> and uh, they, uh, you know, I'm assuming that the the cover of the book that they show us is potentially going to be the cover of the film poster and the maybe the associated album. It's this kind of, it's it's a shot of, it's a very nice high def shot of them playing in the Twickenham soundstage with this kind of purpley mm. pink backdrop. Um you can kind of—it it looks computery tweaked. It, it looked to me as if it had been, in old terms, old money. It had been airbrushed to the yes. end of its life. Uh, It—it's it, surprising to me that they went with something from that end of the sessions and not from the rooftop. You know, yeah. That's the that's let's get a shot of them when they weren't speaking to each other, rather than <laughs> when they're all not playing yeah. George's material on the roof. Well. You know, it's too complicated for them to play. Um, it That's true. Very intricate. Um, yeah, so the book is coming out. So we know that there's a book. And then there was another interesting thing that uh, was pointed out to me uh, online during the year, which was a, a kind of a hidden playlist or album called 1969 Recordings by the Beatles. Yes. And if you look at it, because I, I took screen grabs at the time and I've printed them off, it would kind of fit with a potential three CD set that would be part of a box set. It, it, it would. I have to say it is an extremely disappointing. Mm. You know, I, 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 I'm not suggesting they were going to release all, you know, 269 hours, hours. Yeah, yeah. Nigra tapes and, and, and what have you. But this is a pretty conservative uh, you know, run through what we've already heard. Uh, there's not a lot of sort of unreleased material in the sense that you, yeah. you know, you're getting different versions of songs, you know, even in the demos, you've got George's demo of all things must pass. Um, you know, we've got that, Yeah. I mean, you know, something take 37. Do we need to hear something? Well, does it does it fit the remit of the project? So this this thing went up. It the the date on the Spotify release was 
December 23rd, 2019, 49 songs, two hours, 37 minutes. And it's called 1969 Recordings. And it, it got a bit of traction during the summer uh, mm. when people kind of noticed it and then it suddenly disappeared. But it's basically uh, the May 1969 Get Back LP in full, apparently, yeah. the Glyn Johns yeah. mix. Um, the entire rooftop gig is there as well. Uh, and then in between the the May 69 um Get Back album and the rooftop gig is of just a bunch of rehearsals, uh, roughly about 20 odd rehearsals and pieces from, uh, you know, that period in January 69. And then there's three tracks tracked on that would be post roof performance tracks, the long winding road, all things must pass George's demo, which I'm assuming is a version of the anthology three one and something take 37. So it could just be one of these copyright releases just so that they keep the copyright, but it does have the form of their previous box sets of three CDs of bonus stuff. And then assuming there'd be maybe a CD of let it be in there or a Blu-ray of the movie or something. That's where that would be, I suppose. Well, you'd think any, any sort of, multimedia box set is got to have the original movie yeah um you know even if the new movie comes out as a separate blu-ray i mean i I can see that happening um but you think they've got to give you that um i i think the whole of the rooftop concert is is sensible yeah you know i (sighs) Looking, looking down here, you know, how many versions of Dig a Pony do you actually need or, or get back or, um, you know, yeah, these, it, are things, these are things that we've already heard. There's, 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 a, there's an integrity about the rooftop performance. And, you know, for example, in the film, one of the most charming things is, um, you know, Octopus's Garden. Yeah. But that doesn't fit the narrative here because that, that's, that belongs to Abbey Road. Yeah. And I'm scanning it here. I don't see it on the list here anywhere no, now. No. Yeah, so uh, listen, we'll see. I still think that with Disney involved, the new movie won't be part of the musical box set. But we've been told that the old Let It Be movie is being restored as well. So that my theory is that they don't want that on its own. It'll just be in the box and you'll have to buy it as part of the whole set. The most most interesting thing is, you know, are they going to get Paul and Ringo to sit down and do a commentary um, <laughs> on, on, the, on the old movie. I'm remembering be... Ringo's fantastic commentaries on the OnePlus box set. Well, the DVD know, they're, commentary, they're, they're... sorry. <laughs> where he's pointing at a screen and <clears throat> Strawberry Fields Forever is on and he's like, hey, look at them. There's there a, they are. They're great. There's a tree. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, if you haven't seen that, uh, that's an extra. So that was supposed to be the big Beatles thing and, and we didn't really get it uh, obviously um any other Beatles stuff not really we got a 4k reissue of a hard day's night and uh, i was in a, a shop in the run-up to christmas and i noticed that the official 2021 Beatles calendar is let it be themed so that's something okay so they're uh, they're they're pulling the threads together maybe they are but I, I i don't know if it's that well thought out but yeah no other particular specific uh release this year which uh, is a bit of a drought compared to what we've gotten in the last couple of years um however However, the disappointment in the first half of the year, uh, from a Beatles point of view, was certainly offset by a wealth of stuff that has happened. Uh, It seems to be more of it happening as we get closer to the end of uh, 2020. They must have heard we're doing this review episode on Christmas Day and wanted to tell us. I was thinking that. I was yeah. thinking that it's it's sort of it, you're right it's 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 gathering pace uh, yeah <laughs> yeah uh, it's like have we told Stephen and Jason about it so let's break down the uh, the fabs one by one and let's um, let's look at uh, John Lennon and at the start of the year there was the Plastic Ono 
book Plastic Ono Band book was announced yeah. uh, and that has come out and it, it led to this assumption that we were getting a Plastic Ono Band box set. Now we talked about this on our Plastic Ono Band um, uh, edition a little bit um, but we didn't get a Plastic Ono Band box but we know two things. One is that one is coming Yes. Uh, and what we got instead was Give Me Some Truth which uh, came out at the start of August start of October, pardon me, it was announced in August for John's uh, 80th birthday. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of Give Me Some Truth? Um, well, I wasn't expecting it. Yeah. Uh, and I have to say, when I saw the announcement, I, my heart sank slightly and I thought, well, you know, John's solo career has been anthologized so many times. Yeah. Um, you know, do we really need another, uh, you know, run through and a remix? You know, the albums have been remixed. They've been remastered. We've had bonus sets. But I think having got it, having listened to it and listened to it again, I think undoubtedly, yes, it's absolutely something. Uh, it, it added something to, to, to the, the previous uh, compilations. Yeah, I, I think so. I had my doubts uh, as well. I didn't really see the point initially, or I was—I think I was a bit annoyed that we weren't getting something to do with Plastic Ona Band. Uh, um, but I don't have my doubts anymore. I think Give Me Some Truth is a great thing. It's an interesting reorientation of the whole music, and it's definitely done with this Sean vibe, not a Yoko vibe. And we know that Sean has taken over the business interests related to to John and Apple. So he is now yes. controlling yeah. all of this. And it, give me some truth, reflects that. Now, I have to admit, when we did this a year ago, I didn't own the Imagine box. I picked that up in January. And I was really impressed with the Imagine box. I, that really helped reconnect the album for me. I really liked the sound of it. I liked, I thought the book was really substantive in that box set. And so give me some truth is cut from the same cloth. You know, it's the same, first of all, it's the same shape for your shelves. Very important. Yes. Very important that everything is the same size and looks the same. Yes. And uh, so, so the, the give me some truth, Blu-ray two CD set fits beside the Imagine box set and listening to it, I think, I think it sounds fantastic and the book is substantive and you can, kind of get a feel for what they're doing. So if Imagine and Give Me Some Truth are out there, I'm ready for all of them, basically. Yes. I mean, I, I it made me really look forward to this Plastic Owner box. Yeah. Uh, which is coming because, you know, it's mentioned in the book. So, um, uh, you know, as, as, as being uh, an existing thing, I suppose. So it makes you think the box was maybe intended to, to come out uh, and to accompany the book. And then there was maybe a last minute uh, rethink um, that, that, you know, Imagine is a standalone yeah. thing, the song. It's a bit like the Beatles leading with Sgt. Pepper, you know, so John's estate is going to lead with Imagine. Yeah. Um, and then you maybe they got the sense, well, what we need to sort of lead this campaign is a compilation. But if that's the case, I, I wonder how much of this work has been done across the catalogue. Well, I assume everything is being done because if, they, if no, they've no, done Give I mean, Me Some Truth, they've pulled every catalogue, every tape from think, all albums. But do you think they've done every album already? Yeah, I think, they, I think go, it, rather than pull the isolated, the individual tracks that they were compiling for the hits. Um, I'd say it's probably a bit of both. I'd mm. say I'd say it's a big project that's taking a, a period of time and they've decided to, to lean on the hits. But you, like you listen to Give Me Some Truth, and obviously all the tracks there are remixed, you know, there's a, yep. like, and the overhaul really sticks out on some of them in a good way. Like whatever gets you through the night sounds sensational, sounds great. I, 
I was going to say it's whatever gets you through the night. Although what happened to Alton? He's he's sort of but almost I, I, disappeared. I, I kind of like that. It's kind of Elton kind of comes in in the second half of the song more so, mm. and it has this organ whirl at the start. The double fantasy tracks have been given a really specific going over, I, and I, six I, of John's tracks are on "Give Me Some Truth." So that's the bulk yeah. of his I work. Mean, I, I I think it's the double fantasy tracks and the walls and bridges tracks. You know, I'm I'm on record as saying walls and bridges. It's a very sort of thick sort of production yes the, you know kitchen sink 70s lots of saxophones and this really pulls a lot of detail out and um you know again this is this is at least the third overhaul of the double fant or double fantasy tracks but yeah it's definitely the best and i'm very pleased that this is sean seems to be directly you know hands-on and curating this you know he did a, he is doing a fantastic job with Yoko's catalogue and, and, you know, so it's, it's, I have great expectations, Sean, yeah. you're listening. <laughs> no, I agree. And I think, you know, I think you're right. I think some of the, some of the seventies Lennon stuff that I don't like this kind of, there's a lack of air in some of the studio productions. It sounds very, yeah. you know, egg cartons on the wall type studio sound, session sound. And, yeah. and there's a nice flow and a nice kind of air in these new mixes. And again, uh, I've said it before, some of these new mixes are also designed for phones and smart speakers and all the rest. They, 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 there's a reason for it. And But I think it's interesting that it's, you know, this music is coming up on 50 years old, all of it, you know, like Double yeah. Fantasy is 40 years old. And it, the Beatles are kind of immune to this sort of thing. It's kind of just the Beatles. But Lennon's stuff needs maybe a little bit of, you know, fiddling around, you know what I mean? I think, I think, and maybe it's just because, you know, the tap was turned off in 1980, but it's very much of its time, mm. um, you know, in, in, in a lot of senses, in, in, in the, but particularly in the production sense. And I think those, those albums, you know, imagine sometime in New York City, Mind Games, Walls and Bridges are just sort of stuck yeah, sonically, if you heard any track without knowing when it had been made, you would be able to date those tracks. Yeah. Um, so yeah, perhaps more than any of the other three, uh, John's because of his his products, his own preferences in producing his own material, and the fact that he was using Phil Spector. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think if, if anyone out there is sitting on the fence about whether to get Gimme Some Truth, I'd certainly uh, recommend it. And I, I think. It was very sweet and touching, the whole John Lennon at 80 celebration that we got. We got yeah. Sean interviewing Paul on BBC Radio 2. That was something. I, I have to say, I think that was one of my highlights of the year. Yeah. Um, that that was incredibly touching. It was very and genuine. It, it, it was very genuine. And, uh, you know, it was as open and as genuine as I have ever heard Paul in yeah. an interview. Um, you know, he, it, it clearly having Sean as the interview just completely disarmed him and that usual sort of slight wall that he puts up and, and the sort of show that he puts on of yeah. being Paul. Yeah. Uh, it, it really did just come across as somebody talking to the son of their deceased pal you know it was it was very moving yeah and it's you know it's always good to be reminded that there's human stuff going on here like you know we read all these books and stories and po listen to podcasts and all the rest but to actually hear paul mccartney say to sean lennon oh yeah i knew your grandmother i knew julia this is what i thought about her yeah and, sean, her, you know, yeah, yeah. and sean is kind of going yeah tell me about her you're like oh my god these are people 
Yes, it's a, I, I know it's a human being. No, I know it seems like an obvious thing to say, but it, it was it was very touching. And Sean also interviewed uh, Elton John, and uh, it was it was a good collection of stuff. And it's it's interesting to see Sean in the driving seat. He's it, you know to move away from this scribbly face John Lennon above us only sky type thing into yeah. a a very sort of modern uh, take. And maybe that'll date in time. I don't know, but it's it's certainly exciting. And as I said, if those box sets can come every year, I'll be very happy. Now, as you said, Stephen, at the back of Give Me Some Truth, it said, hey, why don't you buy the Imagine box set and the Plasticona band box set? And it listed the Plasticona band box set as having six CDs and two Blu-rays. And as we talked today on Christmas Day, after our Christmas dinner, um, we know that apparently the announcement is coming in January and it's listed as having a 159 new mixes in the Plastic Ono Band box. Not 159 tracks, but 159 mixes. So apparently it's going to be like Imagine, isn't it? There'll be an Elements mix and a Remix and a New Mix and an Atmos mix and a 5-1 mix. I I think that's got to be at 159. You know, we know from the Plastic Ono Band episode that we did, you know, there are a lot of different versions where they were just the the, three musicians are trying things out in the studio and different riffs and different rhythms and different configurations. So uh, it's not going to be, I I don't think there's going to be any undiscovered songs in there, Um, Mm. but yes, it's going to be elements mixes and and surround sound mixes. And hopefully, hopefully we, we, get some room for Yoko's plastic on the ground. Well, yeah, will we get that? I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that being one of the discs in there. That I think absolutely should I, be. I, I think it's a, an integral part of the story and it's in the book. It's in the Plastic Ono Band book. They don't really devote that much time to it, but there's, yeah. there's a few pages and they explain what's how it went on and, and how it came about. Yeah, there must be some rough, longer cuts of, of what they cut for, for Yoko's well, sessions. There must be. I think particularly uh, the song that you and I both like, Green Tree Morning, mm-hmm is a sort of a composite. Um, so you would have basic takes of that. And then they took that into the, 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 the sort of the cutting room and added things and layered things and sound effects. And so the basic takes, I think, will 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 be there. And uh, as you mentioned, we did get the Plastic Ono Band big coffee table book. Um, would you recommend it? it, it it's to go with, like, as when the Imagine it, box set came out, we got a big Imagine coffee table book as well. So it, yeah, it complements it. I, I actually... I think I prefer the Plastic Ono Band book. Really? I think it's yeah. probably more, it's probably less familiar than the big Tittenhurst I, Park Imagine stuff. I think that's it. I mean, I think, that, you know, we're also familiar with the white piano and the white shutters and the lake and the rolling yeah. across the lake and the, this and that. <laughs> this, is, this is, and there are photographs in here that I've never seen and, you yeah. know, with them very short hair. And um, so the photographs sort of date all the way across 1970. I, I thought the book was fantastic. The only sort of disappointing thing is um, it says, you know, there, there are interviews with Ringo, there's interviews with Klaus Vorman. Those are just transcripts of the interviews that they gave for the classic albums documentary. Right, right. And I, I was rather hoping there might be something uh, new, something fresh or something new there, but it's, it's an excellent book. Um, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. There's, there's obviously some very clever archiving going on in the whole Lennon estate because the Imagine box and the Give Me Some Truth box, a lot of the text is pulled from quotes, archived quotes, but reorientated and contextualized to tell a story. It's very well done. Very clever. It's very well done. I yeah. mean, and uh, you know, we, we, come on to talking about George, but it'd be very interesting to see if this is setting a template. Yeah. 
you know, we know that Paul has gone off in a particular direction with the archive sets and, um, uh, you know, that's a different thing. He's still here. He has input. He can kind of rework tracks or add things or, you know, do fresh mixes himself. But it's interesting. And I think that I think, you know, the the Lennon estate is getting this right. I think I think they're getting it right. Yeah. And I think on Give Me Some Truth, you know, one of the one of the interesting songs is Angela. So if they're doing this in a vaguely chronological fashion, you know, sometime in New York City might get the love, you know, who I, knows? Well, yeah, I, I that that is always that is a song I've always liked. I thought that was maybe a very deliberate nod to the Black Lives Matter. Yeah, yeah. Movement. Um, you, you know, that, that that wasn't a hit song. It wasn't a song that anybody really singles out from that album for any particular reason. But it's a it's a gorgeous song. The melody is, is absolutely mm. beautiful. And um, uh, so I thought that was, that again, that was maybe attempting to sort of just plug into the... The now. The now, the zeitgeist. Um. So that's that's kind of the the the, the block of what uh, John Lennon and uh, his family have been up to in 2020. You you mentioned George Harrison, so why don't we tip over into George's 2020 next? Because last year uh, when we did our 2019 review, we were a bit silly about George. There was very little to report from George at yeah. all in 2019, and we said hopefully, well, we might get an All Things Must Pass box this year, and we did our triple All Things Must Pass episode. And I think that was enough to wake the Harrison estate from their slumber um, because there is an All Things Must Pass something that's taking a leisurely stroll into existence yeah. at the minute. Yeah. Um, well, obviously our our, our, our triple episode sort of <laughs> stands in place of a, of a box set. Yes. And uh, as you say, I think Danny probably thought, oh, well, if, if they can do it, we can do it. And... Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, this is this is this is interesting. Um, I mean, I know we covered some of this on the final All Things Must Pass episode. Yeah, but, but we can we can do another hour or so on this. Absolutely. Um, it it it's you know it's exciting that it's coming. Um, mm. uh, I think there's a lot to be discovered in that that archive. Uh, Olivia did a webinar that we mentioned. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, and she is saying, "Oh, there's a lot there, and there were we find so many tapes, and there were jams, and there were demos, and there were different versions, and all of that coming out." But then we have one song so far that has yeah. been remixed, and uh, you know, I said on the old "Things Must Pass" episode, I didn't care for that mix. Yeah, and I, I've listened to it a few times since, and it's not growing on me. I'm afraid. Um, yeah, his voice is quite. I mean, I I do like it. I just like different things, you know. I mm. kind of, you know, like like uh, just like new light on on things. But you, you kind of realize, you know, and I'm not I'm not having a go at George, but his voice can be a little bit strained sometimes, uh, you know. And sometimes some of that cushion of all things must pass production is good for his voice. I think so. I think so. There there there, there is a sort of a warmth about all things must pass mm. uh, and uh, again i'm sort of repeating what i said in the all things must pass episode but you, you know i think phil specter's involvement gets overplayed in that album there's maybe half a dozen big overproduced bombastic tracks there but the rest of it is a very gentle very warm and and yes there is i, I think that sort of cushioning effect mm. um and whereas I think some of John's material, particularly you know Walls and Bridges, needs rescuing from the production, mm. I, I don't really think 
that this needs much of an overhaul. I'm not saying don't remix it, and I would love to have a 5.1 or an Atmos. Yeah. Uh, surround sound mix of all things must pass but you know there's a danger that you make everything a little bit too bright a little bit too brittle um uh, yeah that that, I, that that you know sometimes less is more and i don't know that you need to pull all of those instruments out so that you can identify every single thing that's going on yeah and, and george's studio in in friar park his his house uh, fp shot is uh you know there was an archivist apparently put in there a few years ago and you know assuming he's a guy who was making music all the time you would hope that this isn't a bit like what happened 20 years ago where all things must pass got an all whistles and all bells re-released and then everything else stops. You yeah. know, I would be curious to see what we can shake out just like the Lennon uh, estate. I'd be interested to see what they could shake out from other uh, albums along the way. I think so. I mean, particularly that period. I mean, really what we're talking about, uh, what I'm interested in seeing are the Apple years. You know, it's, it's mm. everything from all things must pass all the way up to and including extra texture. Um, and we know that there are the odd B-side crops up that doesn't appear on an album. Uh, the Apple Years compilations included a couple of demos here and there. But, uh, you know, the sense is that there is a huge archive. Yeah, uh, that is the that, that George has got, that there's George stuff we just don't know about. Um, but as 2020 tumbles to a close, you know, there's still surprises in the last weeks and we're getting an official release of Bob Dylan and George Harrison. We got yeah. a we got a copyright extension release. So in Europe, there's a law that if you haven't used a recording after 50 years, it goes into the public domain and anybody can release it. So in Europe, you tend to get these 50 year releases, very limited edition, maybe only a couple of hundred. Uh, and Bob Dylan has been doing these for the past few years in order to own the copyright to say, well, I'm still using this and, um, you know, you can't release it without my say-so. So a few weeks ago, this Bob Dylan 1973 CD thing came out and it had the George Harrison demo session that we'd talked about before. May 70, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but now it's been announced subsequently, it's getting a full formal release in February 2021, which is odd. So I I think this is, this is a departure for Dylan. Mm. Um, so as far as I'm aware, none of these sort of copyright extension releases have ever had a commercial release. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're one of those lucky people to manage to nab one on the day of release and then one of the unfortunate people that paid a thousand pounds for it on eBay, <laughs> you'd be disappointed. You would have been expecting nothing, to, yeah. no follow up. Um, and I, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm just overthinking this, but it did occur to me, perhaps this is something to do with the fact that Dylan has recently sold um, his publishing. Yeah. Is this, is this a kind of, okay, we're just going to now exploit everything. So we'll just put it out there. Um, I'm a big fan of the Dylan bootleg series. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of those came in those 10 inch boxes and he had set a template for himself, which was excellent. Mm. But the last one, which was the John Wesley Harding era. Oh yeah. 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 Was really quite. The traveling cheap. through one, wasn't that it? Yeah. It was really quite cheap. You yeah. Know, so it was a kind of the card that, the, the sleeve was made out was out of was clearly not of a good quality. And the whole thing just seemed a little as if they downgraded the production value. But that was stuff that was hitting the 50 year margin as well. I think it looked like a copyright release in disguise. In disguise. 
bootleg yeah, series. And, and, and I just wonder, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see what this, you know, of course I shall be buying it. But, uh, <laughs> um, I, I'm interested to see what it's like in terms of the production values that are brought to it. Um, it's, yeah, it's been announced that it's a three CD in a trifle sleeve. It's not being labeled a bootleg series. It's no. not going to go onto any streaming platform. Uh, it might still be a limited release, so it might come off the catalog after a few months, uh, but it is coming out to be bought in all your standard places. So yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, the, the Dylan publishing deal thing is interesting because um, there, you know, it's it's a songwriting publishing uh, deal that he made. And depending on who you read, he might have been given up to $400 million for it, uh, certainly a nine figure sum. Uh, but what that gets is it gets all his publishing but it also gets all his earnings. So he's not going to get yeah. any songwriting royalties or anything. It's all no. his future earnings, everything. It's it's basically selling the family firm. Yeah. And it's potentially estate management is, is part of what's involved here. Um, but for 400 million, it means that the, the new owners of his um, of his publishing, they get all the songwriting royalties. They get all the rights to do with it, whatever they want. I can't imagine they're going to make back much of their 400 million by saying, God damn it, get those 1970 CDs in the shops. Well, I mean, I just, but it just it occurred to me that it's the first thing that's happened after it's happened yeah. afterwards. And maybe they, they have been given some kind of control over releases or release schedules or they've they've uh, you know it, it seems odd that someone like dylan or how you imagine dylan is would mm. give up any kind of artistic control but then he is notoriously casual about oh yeah i've recorded some songs throw them out i don't care what the cover is just yeah. get them out there and i and he's constantly moving forward and not really looking back and well, my understanding is the bootleg series has just been something where it was told to him years ago, we are going to do this. And yes. he just basically said, away you go. I'm, I'm neither going to, I'm not going to sit down and write sleeve notes for it. I'm not going yep. to listen to everything and proofread it. You just put it out. So I don't, I don't mean to say he doesn't care, but I think he cares about other stuff is how I would phrase it. I, I think that I, I think that's exactly it. And and I just think, well, is it just a coincidence that now the the, the the money men have control of the mm. publishing and the income. You know, Bob's got 400 million, presumably. He, you know, the idea, you know, you don't like to think of a world that doesn't have Bob Dylan in it, but, you know, that day will come. And yeah. rather than what has happened with Lennon, for example, yeah. uh, you know, Dylan is not passing control of this legacy on to his family. Yeah. But presumably he's either going to spend all that money before he dies or he's going to, you know, there's a legacy, a cash legacy that he can pass on. Yeah. Um, because maybe he just figures, well, it's more trouble than it's worth. You know, you'd rather have the money. Yeah, no, it's, it's it, yeah, it's hard to know. Again, you know, the, the publishing is what he sold. The recordings are still owned by yeah. Yeah, yeah. Columbia Sony. So they get to decide whether they come out or not. But obviously there's going to be monetization of the Dylan catalog in upcoming years. So my, a Broadway musical or movies, there's, there's already a biopic in the works as well. So well, it'll be interesting. And they, they, they'd probably be next. They'd be using his music to sell lingerie. Well, it's it's a, well that happened already, but uh, <laughs> as you know, um, but 
you know, it's been sold as, you know, one of the things of 2020 is that many musicians are selling off their publishing rights, you know, so mm -hmm. um, Debbie Harry and Chris Stein sold off theirs. Um, I think, uh, you know, Dolly Parton has spoken, she might sell off hers as well, because this is a guaranteed money earner, particularly for people yeah. who are in their 70s. And it it, it kind of sets up, uh, it sets up their, as I said, their estate. Um, have we uh, have we had any offers? Have you checked? For the Nothing Is Real catalogue? No. Yes. Nothing it's yet. Shocking, isn't it? Nothing at all. Um, but you, you know, you have to stop and think. Well, actually, why couldn't the Harrison estate sell up to one of these people? Why couldn't the Lennon estate? Like, it's not impossible to imagine that these guys have very deep pockets at the minute, and they are paying significant sums. Yeah. There's a couple of main players. There's a group called Hypnosis, who are nothing to do with the Pink Floyd album people, and then there's the the well-known uh, publishing houses as well, who are kind of hoovering up these these. Um, uh, these songs, uh, you know, is somebody out there trying to write a check that uh, Sean and Yoko might accept or that the Harrison say? I would hope not. I kind of like their I, independence. I, I think there would be something. I mean, it's odd to say that, you know, the Dylan thing was a little bit of a surprise. But when you think about it, you think, well, he, he, he you know he's he's done commercials before he's yeah. commercialized he's he, he he's not precious about about his legacy um i think it would be very startling if if lennon or harrison the estates were to do that because you, somehow that would be against what the ethos that lennon had or that harrison had um, yeah, it is. It is a legacy issue. So yeah. you know, there are some things that Dylan can still control because he hasn't sold his likeness. But the music can go. Up. I mean, it's basically a position that the Beatles songs are in now, where "Come Together" can be used in a in a yeah. an advert or something. Now, Lennon and McCartney still get money when it's used in an advert, but they've they've lost the publishing control side of it. I don't know. Interesting times, and we don't really have an answer. But it's interesting to speculate. Um, I wonder, would anyone like to buy the estate of Ringo Starr? Well, <laughs> so let's, in the uh, nothing is real current account. In the uh, I'll check the petty cash. Uh, for 2020, Ringo turned 80, the first Beatle to turn 80 in 2020. And, um, you know, like many 80 year olds, uh, he realized the uh, the good sense in isolating for 2020. And he's been quite vocal on his social media about wearing his mask and staying safe and all the rest. Um, and he had this very charming 80th birthday special. So his birthday yeah. in July, he wants it all to be people to stand and say peace and love and hold up the peace sign. Um, but he did this very nice kind of streaming. It wasn't live. It was a pre-recorded no. thing, but he put yeah. it up on YouTube. Did you watch that? I did. I did. It was great. Yeah, it was it cute. Was great. It was very Ringo. It was yeah. it was lovely. Yeah. I'm here in my house. Here's Joe Walsh. Hi, Ringo. <laughs> and then people had sent in little home videos of Hi, Ringo and Elvis Costello popped up, which was a surprise to me. And the big thing we were all waiting for was Paul McCartney was trailed as being on yeah. this thing. And they showed us a fantastically clip of 2019, Paul and Ringo hanging yeah. out in LA. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't new, but, you know, it was still nice. You, you think Paul could have, you know, recorded something on his iPhone. Uh, but yeah, but back in July, he was probably getting in the last overdubs on, you know, long-tailed winter bird. It's like, oh. Ringo, I'm not answering the phone. He was Lavatory tied up. Lil. Lavatory Lil. He was just like, yeah, what rhymes with Lil? That's what he was, <laughs> uh, that's, that was, uh, was uh, playing on his mind. But again... The incredible last minute nature of 2020, as if Paul didn't have enough competition on the yep. week that McCartney 3 comes out, 
Ringo puts out a surprise single. He does a Taylor Swift. He drops. Yes. Here's yeah. to the nights. Yeah. I, I, I thought when somebody, somebody uh, I read that and I thought I was really hoping it was going to be K-N-I-G-H-T-S and it was going to be a little <laughs> song about, you know, about Sir Ringo Starr and Sir Paul McCartney. But uh, That's a good idea. He missed a trick. He did um, miss a trick. Well, did you remember it was like early 1970 was originally called when Four Nights Come yes, to Town? It could have been, a... been a nice kind of circular... Again, oh, you, you need to be an advisor. That's why they need to be in touch with no, us about these things. You know? But what they've announced is uh, this song here, here, Here's to the Nights, which is written by Diane Warren, who's one of these fantastically accomplished and successful songwriters who you did, don't know generally. Did, did she write songs for Starship? Or am I yeah, I, I, am I, no, I'm, I think she did write Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now and yeah, yeah. that kind of genre. She writes some of those heart songs in the late 80s. I yes, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. And um, this song, Here's Tonight, so is kind of a big sort of sing-along, yeah. let's look after each other. It's got a Christmassy vibe to it. It, it does have a kind of Christmassy thing. I was thought, I thought you were going to read out the list of everybody who was on it and I was going to suggest it might be shorter to read out the list <laughs> of people who aren't on this I'll read song. out the important people, which is Cheryl Crow, Joe Walsh, the brother-in-law, and... Paul McCartney. Yeah. Like, and, and there's a video and Paul is singing with Ringo. Paul is in Hog Hill Mill Farm yeah. Studios and Ringo's in his studios. It's a split screen. and But you can hear Paul. It's not like last year's Grow Old With Me where no. Paul was buried deep in the mix. Um, Paul is front and centre appearing in the video and you just have to go... Ah, here we go, 2020. We it's... should be happy that these two guys are just doing their thing. I think so. I think so. It's a very charming video. Yes. It's a it very is. charming video. The song is a little bit OTT, but it's uh, very charming. Yeah, it's got that kind of Ringo auto tune thing oh, going on that Modern Ringo has, but I don't, I don't care. <laughs> it, it, has, it has got a kind of nothing's going to stop us now sort of thing about yes. it. Yes. Um, and it's, it's actually the lead single of not an album, but an EP called Zoom In. Yes. So presumably this is going to be. Uh, you know, songs recorded in this fashion, do you think? Well, it's, I think are it's true. Are... He says that he's not going to do another album that he, but he's got a home studio and he's going to put out songs and EPs and he's just going to tinker around. So I, I've this got a thing, studio and I know how to use it. Well, this is his McCartney three. And don't forget, we've already had Ringo the fourth. So Paul has got some catching up to do. I think, uh, I think, I think, <laughs> You know, if, he's, if, if it's called Zoom In, presumably it's going to be songs recorded in this fashion. Yeah, on Zoom. And then, you know, he'll do a couple of EPs across the year and then there'll be it's, a compilation uh, or a box and we'll be able to buy them. And I'm all for it. I think if Ringo can release, you know, an EP every three months, I'm absolutely happy with that. Yeah, I'm always happy when Ringo checks in. He, you know, his Twitter feed compared to Paul's Twitter feed, you actually feel that Ringo is actually typing those things, putting up silly pictures of himself, doing the peace sign, all that stuff. Uh, it's and, great. And, and wishing John a happy 80th a month early. <laughs> yes, that yeah. was very funny. And then he just comes online and goes, oh yeah, well, I just love the guy. I think about him anyway. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it, was great. it was great. Uh, the, other thing I, uh, the other thing I really like is uh, I love Ringo's hair. Yes. He's kind of ditch the comb forward um, yeah. hair and it's just this kind of wild and crazy 
dark, dark hair. Yeah, how's it so dark? Who knows? Um, but listen, it's, this thing Zoom In is apparently getting a physical release that you can buy on his website. There'll be a vinyl version in two or three months time at the start of 2021. And he's in his 80s and he's, as soon as all this lifts, I've no doubt that he'll be doing another All-Star tour. There's an All-Star band book coming out. I saw uh, that. 30 uh, years of the All-Star band. So he's celebrating I, those guys. I, I, I'm hoping there is a version that isn't the signed copy because the signed copy is 495 sterling. Eek. Uh, that's... Is it not in the petty cash? Uh, no, not after I've bought the back catalogue. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I, I, bought, right. I seem to have just bought the rights to the... Um, uh, what's that album with Joss Stone on it? Who's your daddy? That's Who's your daddy? Is that Why Not? Or to, uh, yeah, it's Why Not. It's Why Not. Oh, yeah. Go, go listen to Ringo Starr and Justin, who's your daddy. No, um, don't. Um, don't. Yeah, but we have to resolve that if Ringo comes with the All-Star Band, that's going to be our road trip for 2021, to, is to go and see Ringo and get our way backstage and interview Joe Walsh. I think that, I think that's it, you know. Uh, if Ringo comes... I would love to interview Joe Walsh. If, if Yes, without getting all political, if we can... Uh, well, I'll be able to get to Europe next year, but if Ringo comes by, uh, we'll, we can... <laughs> I, have my, I have my Irish passport and I'm good to go. Oh, good. Just checking. Can, I just, that was a stand, test. We can stand in the same queue. The same um, fast-moving EU queue. I hadn't thought about that, whether we can do Dublin and Belfast after the 1st of January. Oh, I don't know. It's making me sad. Anyway, um, that's Ringo. Yeah, Ringo's 2020. Um, you know, he's he's keeping safe, but he's also keeping in touch. That brings us to Beatle number four. Uh, who haven't we spoken about yet? Paul McCartney. Pete Best. Oh, Paul McCartney. <laughs> Paul McCartney. We can, we, can mention, we can mention Pete Best because uh, Pete Best was supposed to be doing a speaking engagement. That's in right. Dublin. He was due in uh, uh, March time, wasn't it? He was March, one of the first things then, to get locked down. Yeah, we had, you know, tickets for that. But uh, so, yeah, that's that's so, there's no word of that being rescheduled. And I think, you know, I'm not sure that that's going to happen. Yeah, I, I, it's 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 hard to know. I mean, I I I I think I'm hopeful personally that the second half of 2021 is when we get back to doing things, you know. But I think the first half of 2021 is still uh, no man's land, you know. So um, on to Beatle number five. On to <laughs> Beatle number five, uh, Stuart Southcliffe, Paul McCartney. Now, listen, uh, you might have heard, folks, that Paul has an album out called McCartney Three. It was made in lockdown. Did you did you hear? Completely blindsided me. I just, I, I, why was this not mentioned? Yeah. And why, every- why was there no publicity? <laughs> why, how, why am I only learning about this now on Christmas Day? And, well, I do like, look, obviously, McCartney 3 has already been spoken about on everybody's favorite Beatles podcast, as well as our own podcast. Haha. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the, uh, the interesting thing is that what we perhaps didn't talk about on our McCartney 3 podcast was, uh, whether it gets to number one. And obviously it's still the afternoon of the 25th as we talk. The charts aren't due out for another hour or two. We don't know whether Paul has made it to number one or not. Fingers crossed. But the uh, spanner in the works was Taylor Swift. Now, we didn't talk about this in our McCartney 3 episode, but Taylor Swift uh, on the 10th of December announced a surprise album for the 11th of December. And... The it is interesting to put Taylor Swift and Paul McCartney side by side because they are both master manipulators of publicity. The two yeah. of them appeared together for a joint interview on the cover of Rolling Stone this year um, because they are both publicity machines. And the reason why Taylor Swift's surprise album is a surprise is because she put out a surprise album four months ago. Who releases two albums of 
high quality within four months of each other. Beatles, really. But, Beatles, you know, really, yeah. uh, but nobody was expecting a second surprise album. And, you know, the thing I was wondering was, you know, we were told that McCartney got bumped from the 11th, McCartney 3 got bumped from the 11th to the 18th because of vinyl issues. But was it Taylor Swift issues? Were they talking to each other? We do seem to know that they were in communication about we this. Do. Well, what, 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 seems to, what seems to have happened is that, uh, you know, she agreed to move her album. Yes. For from Paul. But then Paul, Paul, uh, his album was delayed. And yeah. they, 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 they seem to have been speaking to each other about coordinating this. And she was moving her date to facilitate him. And then his album ran into production problems. And you sort of imagine, are they on the phone? personally <laughs> well i'd say they do have i'd say uh, there is a bit of a direct line going on there you know taylor swift a, is the real they, deal she's great they had, they had a massive row and taylor sent, <laughs> sent some, somebody around to throw a brick through his window <laughs> well you know we have to laugh at the irony of a get back project being bumped forward into the next year so that paul can put out a solo album well, history repeating itself that's repeating itself. And then all of this stuff with Taylor Swift is just like uh, Sentimental Journey and McCartney. And, uh, it, it's, yeah. It, you know, so except, that, makes, that makes Taylor Swift Ringo Starr. Except Sentimental Journey didn't get to number one. I mean, here's the here's the reality of it. She announces this album on the Thursday, the 10th of December. It comes out on streaming platforms on Friday, the 11th of December. And on the chart of Friday, the 18th of December, certainly in the UK, it's gone straight in to number one on streaming alone, which is... <sighs> not looking good for uh, one or two hours time when the figures come in on the tally for McCartney 3 whether he think, can topple that you think this is going to cut across there French uh, I think it could I mean uh, I, 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 she, I'm, she, I'm calling she, it I think it'll be Swift number one McCartney number two you know she didn't she didn't have to put that album out but she did because she's into numerology. You don't know the whole Swifty and logic. She, when she was 13, she made a promise to herself that when she turned 31, because 13 is her lucky number, uh, 31 is also a lucky number. She turned 31. She wanted the album out on her 31st birthday, which is uh, this week in uh, December. So she's turned 31 and that's why she wanted the album out. It's been her lifelong dream, Stephen. Anyway, well, that I, makes sense. One of us is a Taylor Swift fan, folks. Can you're you guess down, who? You're down with the kids. I'm down with the kids. Oh, I've seen it's, it live it, and everything. It's a bit like, uh, you know, was it, when I, I lost all track of time. When did <laughs> who put an album out? Was that last year? That was last year. And it was um, exactly the same time, the week before Christmas. Yeah, the, about and, the and, I think it was and, the 10th of December or something. And, was right. and, you know, Pete Townsend, well, they were desperate to get to number yeah, one. And they yeah. got to number two. And who got to number one? Rod, Rod Stewart, Stewart, which is really funny. Like if very, anyone, because... I kind of like it when Pete Townsend gets annoyed, you know. I, I, I like him. I like him kind of, you know. <laughs> okay, I'm going to cancel the Pete Townsend interview then. Oh no! Oh no! Well, you know, he's um, yeah. Let's not go down the Pete Townsend route. But yeah, Taylor Swift, Paul McCartney has been an interesting thing in the last week or two, um, in terms of McCartney three. Um, so you know, you can go and listen to our McCartney three special episode. I have to admit, having listened to McCartney three a little bit more and having listened to it on official vinyl um i'm i'm sold on it even even deep down and all the rest it's a proper little record and yeah, uh, the is. the vinyl sounds super i got a regular mm -hmm. plain black vinyl happy out the more that i listen to it the better it gets i mean yeah. you know i whenever egypt station came out i liked egypt station but it sort of lost a bit of its charm 
quite quickly for me. Um, but this this was the opposite. I really didn't like it the first time I heard it. I, I just yeah. sort of, oh, it's just a little bit exposed, his voice. And, but the more that I listen to it, the more that I like it. I yeah. think this, this is going to stand the test of time, I think. And aside from Taylor Swift, it is awesome, again, we've said it before, to see the McCartney publicity machine kick in. He's been on Jimmy Fallon. He's been on, uh, he's done an interview with Chris Rock on YouTube. He's been on, uh, he's been on the Adam Buxton podcast, which is a he's, fantastic interview. Have you listened to that great. yet? I have, yeah, it was great. I mean, he's he's been everywhere well there's one place he hasn't been but you know uh, i know maybe mccartney four maybe from mccartney four <laughs> we can but yeah it, i mean it is that's that's the one thing i i aspect of mccartney three that i just sort of thought there's a little bit he's trying a little bit too hard i know to, um, i know yeah i know i know and yeah i know you said that already and my feeling is you know in 10 years time the publicity fades away and the album is left behind yeah. you know and that's I so. I that's, I think that's what matters I do think this is an album that's going to stand the test of time. I think this is going to be an album that's that, that's going to be regarded as one of the top two or three things he's ever done. Yeah. And so, you know, this was made in Rockdown Lockdown. So, you know, it's I, I think it's the alter ego to the upset uh, about uh, the Get Back movie getting bumped was that, you know, well, you know, we got yeah. this Paul McCartney album. But that wasn't it for Paul in 2020. Uh, Linda's photographic exhibition eventually got an opening in, in Liverpool when some of the um, sanctions and uh, lockdowns were lifted during the summertime. Um, we had his COVID Lady Madonna performance back in uh, April, which we mentioned in the uh, McCartney Three, moving swiftly on, <laughs> uh, his tour was cancelled, uh, unfortunately. Um, but we also got, you know, everybody loves a twenty third anniversary. I think it's a really important anniversary. And, and so the twenty third anniversary was that we got the Flaming Pie uh, archive collection box. So we did get an archive collection. We wondered last year what it would be. The London Town Back to the Egg archive collection gets put on the back burner that we're still waiting for. Damn it. But we got we got Flaming Pie, which I think is a very good uh, archive collection. It was good. It's good. It's solid uh, uh, box set. I mean, it didn't, you know, it wasn't, it's perhaps not as full of sort of revelations as some of the other uh, yeah. archive box sets, but it was, it's, it's, it's a very nice thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I, th- I think... Flaming Pie is an album that I, I'm kind of blow hot and cold about. I think it's a good album, but I think it could have been an absolutely great album. Yeah, I agree. And uh, we could probably do a whole podcast on Flaming Pie. So let's, but not now. Um, uh, but I, I agree. I think Flaming Pie is one of those albums that suffers from CD bloat, which yeah. is something I go on about a lot. I think albums should be 11 tracks, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, like McCartney 3. And, yeah. you know, uh, this kind of thing in the 90s where you had 57 minute albums with 15 or 16 tracks, you know, uh, you know, Flaming Pie has 11 killer tracks and three tracks that kind of pull it down, I think. Yeah. And so you could have had a great 12 track album with one or two little bits of tweaking. Um, but I still think it's great. It's a great album, but it, 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 it's almost, I mean, I don't want to say it's a concept album, but it's, it's an album about memory and loss. Yeah. And then in the middle of it, you get these kind of chugging Steve Miller jams and things like that. But this is, this is you know, you think where he was at at the time personally, um, you know, Linda's illness and the, the, he was coming off the back of anthology. And I just think a little bit of 
tweaking of that album and it it could genuinely have been regarded up there with band on the run yeah i i think i think it's I, yeah i think there's a certain little something missing from flaming pie maybe it's a bit of Costello or something. There's just a tiny bit of something that uh, would have pushed over the edge. But I still enjoyed the box set. There was lots of stuff. I mean, the box sets, the archive collection box sets, and this would have been 10 years, by the way. It's 10 years this year since the first archive collection, which is crazy. Um, Sometimes they deliver, you know, alternate tracks. Sometimes they deliver alternate realities like the Red Rose Speedway alternate reality. Sometimes it's live stuff. Here, there isn't really a whole batch of extra tracks that you get. So we got different studio versions and songwriting demos, which we hadn't really had a lot of before and which I quite liked. Yeah, you get get a sense that this was a project that he went in, he had the material, you know, he demoed it, he trialed it, he recorded it and put it out. And it was a, it was a, discrete project where some of the other albums, you know, Red Rose Speedway are a sort of sprawling mm. section. So then there's a lot to draw on. They've, they've recorded 30 songs or 40 songs or whatever, and they're, they're pulling things out here. This seems to have been very, very much a sort of compartmentalized project. Um, yeah. And it's, I, I know we joke a lot about Jeff Lynn, but it's interesting to take a song like you can actually track the pro- progress of a song like the world tonight. Yeah. Um, uh, on the box set and you can actually see how a producer is getting, you know, like Jeff is getting Paul to kind of tighten it down, rewrite some lines, move it around, you know, put a structure on it. Uh, you, you can pinpoint the precise moment at which it- <laughs> At which, <laughs> no, but it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it is, it, uh, I think Jeff was probably the guy for that job because as you say, it was compartmentalized. It had to be done right. You know, somebody had to cross the T's and dot the I's yeah. and he is that type of producer. He's known and the Wilburys have said this for being meticulous that he'll work away at something and then, you know, present it to you as, as, as a job done. So, so that's interesting. Oh, I mean, oh, dull is the word you're looking for. No, no, no. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, uh, so the Flaming Pie box is good. The most controversial thing about it was the price. Um, it was expensive. It was brutal. Absolutely brutal. You know, I mean, if I hadn't already bought the... 20 other archive box sets. I wouldn't have bought this one. Yeah, there um, was a gap on my shelves. That was the main reason. I didn't buy the giant one with the prints that was 650 quid. Because no, that, that was, did you see the size of that thing? Yes. Yes. Ridiculous. I mean, 
uh, again, you know, uh, and I suppose, you know, maybe, we, you know, when we're putting out the Nothing Is Real archive box set, we'll be putting in signed photographs for an extra £200. Mm-hmm. Um, place your orders now. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't know. There's just something a little bit unseemly. He doesn't need the money. Yeah. Uh, well, I have to admit, like, I, I, I didn't buy – I got – Flaming Pie, thankfully, for a decent price. I, I, I enjoy my price tracking. You know, it's like yeah, gambling, right. isn't it? You know, it's I, like I, when I, do you throw your cards in? When do you buy something? When do you not? I, I, I waited. I did not, I did not buy it. Uh, uh, but what I will say is, you know, you with all of Paul's boxes, the quality, the archiving, the paper stock, the format of it, everything. It certainly is there. It is a quality item. I'll, I'll grant them that. You know, it is. Yeah, I mean, no, absolutely. But you've got to sort of think. Well, there's a point where you've got to balance that against, you know, the music. Yeah. But again, it's curious to see how he archives himself versus the Beatles versus, you know, there's been a lot of, you know, with this McCartney 3 publicity blitz, there's been all these interviews again, like he turned up on Stern again and Stern is asking him, so, uh, you know, you got you with the idea for Sergeant Pepper? I'm like, could somebody just ask him a question about something else? Could one person ask him a question about Denny Lane? Could one person ask him, like I've been thinking a lot recently about Hog Hill Mill, the studios, you know, yeah. that this place is as instrumental in his creativity as any other place. And we know nothing about it. Uh, you know, there's loads of stuff you could ask. him. We can ask him, how do you manage a publishing company? You know, the, the, the uh, in fairness, Adam Buxton, he got some things out of him that I hadn't heard before. And Paul I, got, yeah. you know, there's a genuine laugh that Paul has. When, and Buxton got it out of him, you know, it's yeah. not his kind of showbiz laugh. I, I thought I thought the Buxton interview was excellent because he just chatted with him. Yeah. And you know, even down to the point of saying, you know, what's your favorite food? Yeah. And you think that's a that's a totally inane question. And he probably hasn't been asked that question since nineteen sixty four. In one of those sort of teen beat <laughs> yes. magazines. And it must have kind of just resonated with him. And again, it was you know, you did get the sense that very quickly McCartney dropped his guard. Yes. Um, and the only time, the only thing he said that I thought he's been told to say that was when Buxton said, uh, you know, who's the coolest person you've ever met? And he sort of rattled off a few people and then he went, oh, and David Bowie, he was cool because I thought somebody has told him that Buxton he likes Bowie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. is a Bowie fan. Uh, so make sure you mention uh, David Bowie. But it, but it was a very good interview. It was a masterclass. I hope we should. We were both taking notes of how Buxton did that. For when He's, I mean, I, I I know Buxton can be a bit of a Marmite figure, Marmite and, and Thomas. But he, uh, I I'm a big fan of Adam Buxton and his ramble chats, and I think he's very disarming and uh, and and funny. Uh, so well done, Buckyles, and all the podcasts. That's what he calls his crew um, for, for all of that we, stuff. Should what? we do that? Should we do that? We should. How are you doing podcasts? And we'll we'll do a new funny theme tune. Um, so, uh, yeah. I need, I need, you know what feedback we get for that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that's our that's our kind of our rundown on the main headlines of, of Paul. Uh, uh, in kind of generic stuff, uh, books-wise, I think in our books episode, we talked about 1, 2, 3, 4, which is one of the bigger Beatle books of this year, which I still think is a good read. It's 100 chapters about the Beatles. I think 90 chapters are great. 
great and 10 chapters are kind of yeah. annoying when he gets into the solipsistic stuff all about himself. Yeah. Um, you've read a couple of other books because you're the king of the books, Stephen. I've, I've, I've read one or two other books. <laughs> um, Anyone else that you'd highlight for Under the Tree? Although it's too late because it's, it's uh, Christmas late. Day, obviously. Uh, but you get it in the sale. There's um, George Harrison on George Harrison. What, what's not to love about that? All right, um, where did he write that? <laughs> which is it's a compilation of ah, right. uh, interviews that he, he gave across his career, you know, from the early days right up to sort of 2000. Um, that That's absolutely fascinating. Um, we talked a little bit on the All Things Must Pass um, episode about uh, Barry Feinstein, the, the photographer. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, he died a number of years ago, but there is a book of his photographs called Be Here Now, which is a nice coffee table book of um, Friar Park and the concert for Bangladesh and uh, not a lot of text in it, but the photographs are quite uh, spectacular. And a book I've just finished reading is uh, with the Beatle connection is um, Peter Frampton's autobiography. And you'd recommend that? I would recommend that book. I, I have to say, I, I, I was not back in the day a huge Peter Frampton mm. fan. I was kind of a little bit too young to be uh, a Frampton fan uh, when he was sort of in his, his peak with, you know, Frampton Comes Alive. Um, but I saw him playing as part of uh, Ringo's band, and he has some fascinating stories about uh, the All Things Must Pass sessions mm. and playing in the All-Star Band. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I would recommend that book. Um, and obviously, sadly, there have been some people in the Beatle universe who we need to, you know, remember this year who've passed away. Uh, probably one of the most influential is uh, Astrid, who, who uh, Astrid Kircher, who died in uh, in May of this year, who, you know, is so influential in, in how we picture and see the Beatles and, yeah. you know, a huge contribution to, to how we know them and how we see them, you know, that, that pre-fame era, really. I think I think it's she is overlooked in the sense that uh, you know the, one of the key visual images is that cover of Meet the Beatles, the with the mm. Beatles, uh, photograph, and that's essentially her design. That sort of half shadow yeah. uh, was 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 used, um, and you know she's absolutely crucial in in styling the band. She and and Sutcliffe, yeah, um, uh, absolutely. Uh, central to that and um there, there was a, there was quite a sort of muted response from the beetle camp i thought um mm. you know there wasn't there wasn't a lot of um sort of tributes being paid uh I'm not sure that Paul said anything. I didn't. No, I think Paul anything. did put a, you know, poor Paul. You go to his website, and you know, there's there's a litany of obituaries yeah. where he's like, oh, this person was lovely. I met them. That person, he did do one of those for for Astrid, yeah, I and um, uh, I remember Ringo did a said something on Twitter as well. So she did she did get uh, some recognition. But you're right, it wasn't a effusive type of. Uh, type of type of thing I suppose um, maybe just it was you know for the the year that's in it it wasn't uh yeah it was back in may which was a strange time still a strange time really um and somebody else who's passed away in august of this year and who for whom the mccartney three album is dedicated to is eddie klein who we mentioned in our all things must pass episode as being involved yeah. in it's johnny's birthday um but he was also a very formative influence with Paul, particularly on the McCartney 2 album, but he was in McCartney's camp for a long time. I, I think he was a key player in, in in sort of McCartney's studio team for a long time. He moved from being a sort of a technician with Apple Studios, um, you know, as so I worked on Imagine and All Things Must Pass, but he very much then moved into McCartney's orbit. 
Um, yes. So 2020, any other business? Uh, I, I suppose, Stephen, uh, I suppose generically, last year I asked you this question, this year I'll ask you again, any favourite albums, like non-Beatles stuff? You obviously listen to some non-Beatles from time to time. Um, can I think? <laughs> yeah, I can. Uh, I mean, I think uh, the, the obvious answer to, you know, favourite album of the year, apart from McCartney 3, is mm. uh, Dylan's album. Rough and Ready Ways. Rough and Ready Ways, Ready Ways, because it, again, it 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 just came completely unexpectedly, you know, trailed by by Murder Most File, and uh, that that just seemed, again, the you know the timing of that was, yeah. was so odd, and there were a lot of speculation. Is that is is this what is this a one off thing? When was this recorded? Uh, is there going to be an album? And then suddenly another song and another song, and then the album hits, and it's a fantastic album. And Barry got to number one in the UK. Uh, yeah, very, very little publicity surrounding that. <laughs> yes, uh, only two colours of vinyl. There was a, there was one coloured vinyl version. There was but one just... coloured vinyl. But but you know what I'm saying? It it was it was in its own way. It was as clever. Yeah, uh, a piece of marketing because you got Murder Most File is an insane. Song. Yes, and it mentions the Beatles. And it mentions the Beatles. It mentions the Stones. It you know it it. it uh, but what he did was he put a little bit with it saying, here's something we recorded we thought you might like. Yeah. I, and it was so low key. But yet that air of mystery just drew everyone in and the anticipation for what was coming yeah. uh, was, was palpable, you know? Yeah, I... I um Listen, I like Dylan, but I'm certainly not a Dylan obsessive and some of his albums tend to pass me by, you know, particularly in the last 20, 25 years. Some of them have stuck. So uh, like Mod- uh, Modern Times is one that I really like, yeah. but something like Together Through Life is something that's kind of passed me by. I'm not religiously wedded to them. This album, though, yeah, when Murder Most Fell came out, I, I really, it's been a long time since a song felt like such a punch you know yeah and it's important yeah and it's 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 i think i think people worried uh, because it had that kind of bowie black star zeitgeisty oh wait a sec kind of feeling about it it did but people have been saying that about dylan album since time out of mind you know yes (laughs) yes time out of mind was the he's dying album he was dying in the 90s you know (laughs) um but then to have it followed up and I did, I did that thing with Rough and Ready Vase where it came out and I listened to it and I put it away and then went back a few months later and I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Yeah. This is really good. That's funny. I did the same. I tended to, to, to kind of uh, gravitate to the couple of up-tempo songs uh, mm. that were on it and I kind of focused on those. So I thought, yeah, I'm just going to put it away. And then I brought it back out and um, I have quite a long commute in the morning and I can, it, it carries me through uh, the commute. It's great. It's absolutely a fantastic album. It is. It is really, really good. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I'm enjoying McCartney 3. I think it's too early to say where I'd rank it, you know. Um, uh, Anyone else? I I personally loved the Sparks album. I don't know if that landed with you at all, but Uh, a a steady drip, drip, drip is great. It was very good. And one of my biggest disappointments uh, was was. They cancelled their tour. Everybody cancelled their tour. But everybody cancelled their tour. But yeah, but Sparks. I, I, I mean, I was sold on going to see Sparks. But um, when I heard the album, I thought, you know, I really should. Uh, I really yeah, should. and they've, you know, they the Sparks are generally great. And but again, their last album, Hippopotamus, which was a top ten album, I didn't really 
dig it. But this album is just sensational. Really, really fantastic stuff. Um, you know, uh, have you anyone else on your radar at all? It's been an odd year. <laughs> well, I, I haven't. I can. I can say hand on heart, I haven't heard anything by Taylor Swift. But oh, okay, you know, should I? Should I rectify that? I think she, the new album has a great song with Haim on it that I, I, I think is, is is great. And um, you know, well, listen, I've got I've got other people in my house who are playing music for me, so I've had. You're literally with the kids. Literally with the kids. So, uh, and it's coming in different directions. So I've had like Ava Max and Dua Lipa and lots of K-pop from Blackpink, Twice, BTS. And um, all I'm hearing are noises and syllables. syllables. And also the Killers album. There's somebody in my house who's very fond of the Killers album. And Mm. uh, uh, the Killers... and are all, these people, right. all these people equally keen on King Crimson? Well, uh, I have I to know, admit... I know you've been listening to a little bit of King Crimson. You know, in preparation for doing this review, I went back and said, what did we talk about last year? And I listened to last year's episode and I said at the time, something along the lines of, oh, I'm getting into King Crimson. I haven't bought any box sets yet. Ho, ho, ho. So I'm, I, I'm now two box sets in and these box sets are about 20, 20 plus CDs each. They're insane. Yeah. And they go into live shows and alternate takes and all the rest. So I'm totally, I like, I've listened to so much King Crimson this year uh, because, you know, there was half the albums I didn't even own. So I've kind of filled the regular albums. I'm like, no, 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 I need more. So I'm two box sets down. They've just put out another box set with 27 discs in it. It's they're all going to be bought eventually. I'm hook, line and sinker. I've been listening to so much King Crimson. It's insane. Your children are living on the streets. <laughs> well, I I I did they're find a, no, they're living in a little house made out of King Crimson. Box, I, I did find a King Crimson CD in the boys' room recently, so I was very proud. That's very good. Well, uh, I I I bought. I know the 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 nineteen sixty nine sessions. So I bought that box set. That's very good. That is uh, very good. Really? I mean, I I, I <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes with these King Crimson things, I, I I find it a bit of a slog. You're listening to 400 different takes of yeah. something, but this is absolutely fascinating. And it's again, some of them are things you think I'm only ever going to listen to this once. This is a great document. You know, it's a documentary yeah. style uh, listening in on sessions. Um, well, like one of the box sets I bought was the Heaven and Earth box set, which covers their kind of their last active incarnation where they're making new music and it, around the turn of the, the 21st century. And it's ridiculously good. Um, but one of the discs has about 40 different improvised gigs from one of their subgroups of <laughs> projects. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is just, you know, you just got to just gotta collect I, them all. It, it, I have to say it's so it's so surprising to me that you like King Crimson. Yeah, it's not. It's, they're, they're just not at the pop end of the spectrum. That, yeah, that, I don't I, see Jeff Lynn walking in telling Robert Fripp how he's going to add some drums no, I mean, to that thing he's doing. You know, it, you know, the distinction is sort of I'm at the rock end and you're at the pop end of. But yeah. like, there's nothing poppy about King Crimson. Well, I would disagree. I think there's certain stuff. That, the thing about King Crimson is, you know, they do have, they do sort of slip into, you know, straightforward tunes. You know, a track like Easy Money, you know, is mm. kind of a kind of a standard kind of rock track. A track like uh, uh, Indoor Games sounds, has kind of got a They Might Be Giants vibe going on to it, you know? That's so, mental. That track is absolutely <laughs> But uh, I think King Crimson are kind of perfect for 2020 because you don't know what's going to happen we're making it up as we go along, uh, but it's not boring, you know. So there's there's no. all those things. And, uh, and you got to watch, watch Robert Fripp and Toya 
doing their little weekly uh, gosh that's, that's crazy well if anybody well, hasn't seen those go back onto youtube and look at robert Fripp. he's Some been putting out these weekly music for quiet moments things which are gorgeous these 10 to 15 are, minute ambient pieces which are very very nice i, I would love to just maybe decide to collate those in some way i i, I they yeah are, they're brilliant Sorry, this has turned into the King Crimson podcast. <laughs> yes. Uh, Neurosurgeon Screams for More, the King Crimson podcast. Um, I, I, you know, I was also going to ask, were you at any concerts this year that you liked? There's been very few concerts. We, uh, Good old Robin Hitchcock was great. Went to see Robin Hitchcock the night before he yeah. came in to talk to us in the studio. And that was fantastic. The night before Dublin locked down, I went to see Steve Martin and Martin Short, your favourite Martin Short, which was a... Uh, they uh, yeah, they cancelled their Belfast gig the next night. Because it came, yeah, it came right on the border of the lockdown. And uh, it was a very strange night out because we were all wondering, should we be in a room or not? Uh, But you and me got to see one very interesting gig in London. We did. That was the Ginger Baker tribute gig. Yeah, Ginger Baker Tribute Concert, which scans like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. If anyone's interested in that, you can say Ginger Baker Tribute Concert. But uh, yeah, let's list the people who were playing on stage. Well, there was Eric Clapton. Yes. Steve Winwood. Ronnie Wood. Yes. Kenny Jones. Yes. Um, Roger Waters. Roger Waters, weirdly. Yeah. Um, uh, who else was on stage? Uh, uh, Nile Rogers was there. Yes, Nile Rogers. Nile Rogers this... and uh, Kofi Baker. Uh, uh, That's Jean right. Oh. And was Katie Kassoon in the backing singers? I think uh, as Katie well. Kassoon was there. Yeah, she was one of the backing singers. Um, yeah. And this was a. Uh, from... uh, Paul Carrick. Paul Carrick, yeah. Oh, it was a, it was a very it good was night. Great. It was great. I, I mean, I'd never seen Eric Clapton before, and sometimes I find him a bit. Um, anyway, but a bit dull. A bit dull. Um, but this was kind of pop cream Clapton, where he's doing badge, and he's like, it was the perfect way. If this is this is probably going to be the only time I get to see Eric Clapton. Perfect way to see Eric Clapton. Very very good. It was, and the the the, the absolutely the most exciting thing for me uh, was to see Clapton and Steve Winwood. Because they pretty much all yes. are one song. They did the entire Blind Faith yeah. album. Yeah. And I just, because I remember when they, they, they toured together a few years ago and I thought, oh, I really wish that I had got tickets to see that. But I'm a big Steve Winwood fan. And uh, just, I mean, as a literally the entire Blind Faith album uh, yeah. there, you know, superb, wonderful. Uh, and Steve Winwood is one of those guys who, um, I was talking to somebody recently about going to see Peter Gabriel live. And, He's one of those guys that, like, he opens his mouth to sing, and you're like, "Oh my God, it's the guy who makes that sound." Yeah. His voice is this—it's Steve Winwood's voice coming out of Steve Winwood's body. It's the same. His voice has not changed significantly. Yeah. Uh, it's it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I've seen him a couple of times in solo shows, uh, but to see them together and playing those songs—that was that was that was something special. So um, yeah, that was that was a good gig, all right. Who knows when we'll when we'll be at another gig? But you know, looking forward to twenty twenty one. You know, let let's put our line in the sand that you know we'll get we'll get our get back film, we'll get our all things must pass box, we'll get our plastic Ono band box, we'll get McCartney touring at some point, and we might get another archive. They're the they're the big um, predictions. And uh, Ringo's Ringo's zoom in zoom, zooming quarterly. Uh, Ring us quarterly Zoom. So that's our, our review of 2020. Now, we still have one trick up our sleeve. So if you listen to our 2019 uh, review episode, uh, we had some questions from the crowd. And it's at this point that we're going to uh, uh, let our producer, Ado, into the waiting room or well, whatever we're recording on today to see has he got uh, any questions for us. We're going to pull him away from his uh, Christmas dinner uh, if he's if he's willing to come and talk to us. Are you, you're there, Ado, are you? You're... Yeah, I am. I'm just putting down my 
from Cork, and it's it's funny you should say that because as everyone knows, the three of us live together. Well, no, I, I don't know you're breaking the, that conceit there. No? Well, now, to be honest, Ado, I think this whole coronavirus thing has been a scam from you to just not sit in a room with us all year, listening to us talk nonstop about the Beatles. You're like, guys, I'd love to, but unfortunately, the government have told me I can't. Yeah, it would help because the previous hour and 15 minutes and some of the other <laughs> shows were very three sides live over the last year or so in my absence. Um, so I'll, I'll deal with that. We'll deal with that another day. We'll yes, another exactly. Day. Um, but uh, you, I believe, uh, have been inundated like uh, like Noel Edmonds in the days of Swap Shop with uh, viewer mail about uh, asking questions to, to round up season three of Nothing Is Real. I have, um, but before we get to that, Uh-oh. I do. I, I did want to present uh, time. Just a bit, <laughs> this is your just, life. <laughs> just a bit of um, housekeeping, I suppose. Um, okay. Because I was trying to figure out this week when we were trying to put, put the questions together and talk about the year, um, if Robin Hitchcock was twenty. 20- 20 and i think it was was it was that in january we were just talking about january. this a moment ago yep. you were probably in the kitchen getting some extra turkey um i was putting the, the bins out which is steven's job the robin hitchcock gig was the yeah he played whelan's in dublin at the end of january and it was the day after that so that was a 2020 event the, the, mm. the robin hitchcock that, that was our first recording of 2020 yeah so it was, was one it? of the few that we did in the studio so if you're if you're playing along at home folks the the Robin Hitchcock episode and the Sgt. Pepper episode and the first anthology episode were our only studio episodes of 2020. They were recorded before the lockdown. All right, okay. Because I was trying to think about the... Um, I was trying to think, there must, have, there must be some highlight from the year. <laughs> and, uh, that, was, um, that was certainly a highlight. And he was a very nice guy. And... Um, we had a good day, morning. God, we had a lot of time with him. Well, that um, was the thing. It was so nice because, like, he, he gave us all his time. And, um, you know, I, 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 I can laugh about it now. He, he sort of, you know, I was chatting to him on the phone beforehand or texting him. And he said, you know, should I bring my guitar to the studio? And I was like, no, 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 we're just going to chat. And that was kind of a stupid thing to do when we could have been I, sitting I, in a room is, with our own private Robin Hitchcock gig. This is the first time I'm hearing this. Sorry, Stephen. Yes. <laughs> so I'm not going to make that mistake again. Power, power magic, gone, Jason. Power yeah. Magic. Well, no, I was a uh, poor chap. He was very uh, jet lagged. But then after we recorded, we, we all went for lunch and had a uh, like a like a second private podcast chat. Very, very nice yeah. bloke, Robin. He's been brilliant. And Actually, we were, we were talking about records of the year. I should have mentioned Emma Swift's Blonde on the Tracks, which is yes. Robin's partner, Emma, who's a fantastic singer-songwriter who put out this amazing self-produced uh, record of Bob Dylan covers this year, including a brilliant version of I Contain Multitudes from Rough and Rowdy Ways. Like one of the first covers from Rough and Rowdy Ways I heard was Emma's. And yeah. that's been a brilliant album. I should have mentioned that earlier on. That is a superb album. Yeah, it was very yeah, good. Because we, when we were at the end, because you guys saw me talking to him in the studio, but at the end... Uh, Robin Hitchcock addressed me, which I knew. I know you two didn't like, but we were no, talking about, we, um, and that can't happen. No, no, I know. I'm sorry, and I did apologize <laughs> profusely. But we were talking. He said he started talking about music, and I remember that day or the day before, Pearl Jam's new song was out called "Dance oh, yeah. to Clairvoyance," and we were talking about that for like ten minutes, and uh, which then they Pearl Jam had Gigaton came out later on in March or April, I think it was, which is a great album. But he was, um, I, I that was a great highlight. It was a great start of the year. I thought, you know, as the year went. 
you know, we didn't know didn't know what was going to happen. Obviously, you thought twenty twenty was up upwards from there. That you I thought know, it was going to be gold. Yeah. I thought I'd be let out one of the days as well. You know, I, I thought <laughs> it was really things are going to take off. But just funny you mentioned the album of the year stuff because um, well, what's your the, album of the year? Because we were well, just talking about that. Well, I have a few albums. Not I don't have one top tippy top one. Um, ones that stick out, I suppose, would be Taylor Swift's album. And I'm not a hey. I'm, not, I'm not, not a Taylor Swift fan. Nah, I just, two I against just, one, Stephen. I'm just going to I'm going to have to listen to this album. Well. I, <laughs> Maybe just clarify that. I'm not a fan of hers, not too musically old slobbery, or that just didn't ever occur to me. And uh, I thought her storytelling aspect of, of that album was great. Don't like the national, I don't like complaint rock and all that. I thought that album was really good. I thought Springsteen's album was all right. I know mm. we have a, a, one of our mutual friends is a big fan of Bruce Springsteen. I let him take up that mantle. It was fine. It wasn't hugely impressive. Fontaine's DC was a great album. Sports Team, I think, was this year. It was a good album. And uh, and but probably my top album is Fiona Apple's new album, relatively new album. Yes, uh, I think it's twenty twenty as well because she's just. Great, you know, really, really good, great stuff. I can't, I couldn't look past that, to be honest. Yeah, that's a good shout, actually. And to be honest, it's one of those albums that I've had a quick listen to. I'm like, oh, that's great. And I know it needs attention and I need to go back yeah. and give it attention. Yeah, it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. But yeah, it's a good album. It's a good album. But I think music... Yeah, I- I haven't, oh, heard, I haven't heard it. No, no, I haven't heard it, but I'm just thinking we're going to have to cancel the Springsteen interview as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm a, I'm a mega Springsteen fan, as, as Jason knows. I love the guy. But when I heard that album, I was like, ah, you know, it's not... We've we've already we've already bumped Pete Townsend. And <laughs> we, we've Pete trashed over. everybody. We're just setting fire to the place here. Well, I don't know if you ever watch um, uh, Brian Johnson's Life in the Road. Did you ever watch that? Yes, yeah. oh, the guy from ACDC. Yeah, like it's yeah. a guilty pleasure. I mean, he's mm. terrible as an interviewer. He's awful. <laughs> he really is. He really is he is. Jules Holland quality? He, no, he like he's awful and he's very small, very diminutive character. <laughs> but last week he had Robert Plant on, and Robert oh, yeah. Plant every second line is as you well know Brian so it's always kind of like you know it's a shared experience that they open up <laughs> as opposed to him being you know uh, Edward Moreau or I thought it was, it's very uh, he's terrible but it's um, it's a great series it's really good uh, yeah you should you should seek out the one where he interviews Sting oh no, no. <laughs> he did he had when, when he had a uh, Nick Mason on was really good. Oh, yeah. Um, but the whole Pink Floyd stuff was wild, really unusual. It's a new, very unusual series. And he had Dave Grohl on one week. And Dave Grohl's like, I don't even know who you are. It was really strange, really strange. Um, but, it was, but it was very good, you know. And it's, it's a, definitely a guilty pleasure. So seek it out if you haven't seen it. It's pretty good. I know he just have Roger, Roger Daltrey on. Sorry, that's what that's what brought me to that when you were talking about The Who. So Roger Daltrey is on one week as well. So, yeah, it's interesting stuff. It's kind of it's kind of unusual. But it's and he can hear them, Brian Johnson, can he? Because I thought he was deaf. Wasn't that no, the he problem? Had, he, had, he had surgery or something. He had some kind of magical, yeah, uh, technological um, implant or something that he's now not deaf anymore. He was prepared to spend any amount of money to get Axel Rose. Yes. Out of ACDC. I think that might have been the surgical implant. Money. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, oh, anyway. Um, and sorry. Uh, yeah, another, uh, just one last highlight. Uh, I, only, I only had the two. <laughs> what, what is this? This is, this is the uh, Adrian the podcast. This, this is great. Is, you know, uh, because I'm, you know, I, I, this is my time of the year. I can't talk. I can't this, is this is it. This is He's back in the box for another 12 months. So just let him okay. have at it. Um, but okay. Kevin Godley. I'm not, I'm not putting the bins out. Oh, Kevin Godley? Yes, go on. <laughs> well, uh, Stephen, I've told you before. We'll talk about this Um Kevin Godley, I thought it was great. Uh, and it was it was uh, such a pity um, that we weren't in the studio for that because I really enjoy that and 
And as listeners will not know, I worked with Kevin Godley, as I said to you, Jason, mm. many, many years ago on his Mission Impossible video with um, Larry Mullen and uh, Adam Clayton here in Dublin and Wimmer Lane. I was an edit assist for him on that yeah. um, many, many years ago. So I was, I, I heard like the stories he was telling and so on was great. I would have been loved to have been in the would have loved to have been in the studio for that, or have him in the studio for that. So maybe another day for that would be great. I, I, I think it's no secret that you know, for, in terms of the nothing is real universe, you know, Robin Hitchcock was supposed to be a curtain riser on you know getting people into the studio and, and talking to them, which was kind of what we wanted to do before. Obviously, COVID stopped everyone's travels and everyone being in the same room for a long period of time. Because I think the notion is that you know musicians travel, they pass through town, they've got time to kill, and some people are very generous with their time and are happy to to talk you know um so yeah it would have been nice to sit down in person with a bunch of people this year but you know 2021 who knows what's gonna happen yeah hopefully we'll do it again uh, speaking of that there was um there was a jerry seinfeld has a new book out recently and <laughs> one some one interviewer said some you know you, you finished up after nine years of the tv series was that a conscious decision or you know why did you come up with that and he said the only thing you compared against was the beatles that you know oh, yeah. they, they had a, a lifespan of nine years, and he thought that's a quite a tidy sum. And he wasn't necessarily comparing himself to the Beatles, but he was comparing it to you know the first people to ever to ever you know have such um, you know world domination and crazy celebrity and so on. That after nine years they just stopped. So he kind of took that as a kind of a touchstone of you know nine year two ten years is too too long, but nine years is just about right. Yeah, but the cast of Seinfeld still liked each other at the end. I think that's the well. That's it. There was no argument. There was no <laughs> nothing. They just said, eh, you know, we're done now. Like we could go for fifteen years, but after the fourteenth year, we might start hating each other. So, why so not are, we, it, right? are we saying we have another seven years of this? Seven more years of nothing is real. Uh, I think we're saying that I am the Jerry Seinfeld of of this. Ah, of the uh, three I am, um, you're more the Larry David, the sort of. Hidden uh, complainer. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. Okay. Um, so, yeah, sorry. Back to question time. Ask so, nothing is real. Yes. Hashtag. Yeah, ask nothing is real. Uh, mm. back, back on track here. Um, because I know there's a certain tolerance uh, that your listeners have of me, and I don't want to overstay my uh, my, my welcome on this. Um, <laughs> not too much. Not, not, too, much. not too much. Not too much. Um, thanks for that caller, uh, whoever that was last year. Really, <laughs> really set me up for 2020. Um, so, yeah, so we got a lot of questions in on Twitter. Twitter and uh, email and uh, now a lot of the questions uh, are kind of the same questions if you know what I mean. Okay. A lot. So, but let's see what kind of we tried this last year and went off on a few tangents. So we'll try and do you know yes and no type things or whatever comes to your mind first. I think is the okay. best. Okay. And uh, you have your red buttons in front of you, so everyone to answer first. Hit the red button, and I will come to you. Really want to see those fingers. We really want those fingers, especially. Really those fingers. And this works very well in an audio form as well. <laughs> you can see buzzers. Okay, so here we go. So, at Everybody's Dummy on Twitter asks, which solo albums do you, dis- do you two disagree on most and which album have you championed that the entire world absolutely hates? Of the Beatles universe, obviously, not generically. Yeah. Not generally. Yeah. Um... What do we disagree on? Well, uh, uh, it's well noted on the podcast, the wildlife disagreement. Yes. Wings wildlife, which I will defend till the end. Uh, well, I suppose I suppose I would have, we haven't really done the three or four episodes uh, uh, sequence on extra texture. Yes. Um, but that's a widely reviled George <laughs> album that, that uh, I, I really quite love. I've come to love this album. Yeah, I wouldn't say I love it. Press to Play, oddly enough, is an album 
you like, Stephen, I that love I press to play. really don't like? I think Press to Play is a hidden gem. Mm. And I cannot wait for the archive box set with the 42 different versions of Pretty Little Head. Yes, I'd like Stranglehold without the saxophone, without the... Uh, yeah, but it there is a mix. There is, there, a, mix. There is a mix, which yeah. is better. Uh, any other big disagreements? Um well, there's the Jeff Lynn. That's the Jeff Lynn described. You kind of like Driving Rain, don't you? I do like Driving yeah, Rain. Yeah, and I, I don't mean, like tends, Driving it, Rain. It, it tends to be that the Paul McCartney albums that you don't like, yes. I rate. Yes. I do like Driving Rain. I saw him touring Driving Rain, yeah. and it was fantastic. So, yeah. So, so they'd be the ones that we kind of have an odd disagreement about, I would say. Okay. Was that the uh, main question? There was another. Was there another part to that question? Yeah, it's, I mean, you can take it whatever you want. It's, um, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on. We'll move on. Um, okay. And my brother's now looks a bit like Jeff Lynne, as you know, Jason, which is kind of strange. He's got his really. Yeah, just like he's, more, morphing into Jeff Lynne. He is morphing into. He has the sunglasses and he has the, the kind of big bushy head of hair during lockdown. And, and, and a distinctive snare sound. I haven't yeah. seen this recently. <laughs> I'll, send you, I'll send you a picture after this. It's um, it's quite a thing. It's quite remarkable. Hmm. Um, all right, moving on. Uh, so Owen Ling, who's a regular caller. Hey, Owen. Um, on Twitter had, has asked, do you think 10CC's Eric Stewart helped reignite Paul's creative muse in the 80s? Well, this is a press-to-play question. Over to Stephen. Yes. Yeah, um, I I think yes. I, I I think some of the joint co-writes. I think there's six off the top of my head co-writes on Press to Play. Um, I think he did, and I think Paul would have been well advised to let Eric Stewart take over some of the production on that album. So I think yes. Um, uh, I, I well, yeah. I, I think Eric Stewart was a big influence. He is kind of forgotten, though. I mean, we've kind of kicked around the notion of doing a press to play episode at some point because it's there's something perverse about uh, about focusing in on an album that nobody wants to talk about. Uh, but uh, he, he's not. He's, he's Eric Stewart has kind of disappeared from the Pauliverse in a way that Elvis Costello hasn't, or in a way that Denny Lane hasn't. In a way, you know. I think it's because press to play. You know, Paul doesn't like it. Yeah, Paul disregards it. I think Paul became convinced by the critics and by the the lack of public interest that this was not a good piece of work. And uh, Eric Stewart suffered accordingly. Is my assumption that he yeah. just sort of then disappeared. Um, you know, his work on tug of war is pretty understated, uh, but press to play didn't work. So Paul moves on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Nemo on Twitter asks, what are your favorite Beatles and solo bootlegs? Uh, I'm not really a huge bootleg head, I have to admit now, because one of my favorite, I, I downloaded a bunch of stuff about 15 years ago when MP3s were falling out of the trees. And one of my favorite ones is there's a bootleg of Paul McCartney just figuring out Blackbird, all the different takes of Blackbird. And that's, you could listen to that for ages. And he's just, so the the format of Blackbird of, you know, where the refrain is and how to play that guitar piece and which bits get looped and which bits get repeated. It's not written in stone. So with every take, he's kind of doing a slightly different version of Blackbird. So that that's one that I would point towards. Okay. Beatles wise, I remember when I was about 15 or 16, I sort of dragooned my father into going into a <laughs> shop uh, um, in Belfast to buy Sweet Apple tracks, which is was a two vinyl sort of picture disc. And it's the uh, sort of the best of the Twickenham uh, and Apple studio. So you got those songs like, uh, you know, Commonwealth and uh, that No Pakistanis version of, of Get Back and a terrible version of House of the Rising Sun. And uh, because it's one of the first bootlegs I ever got, it's 
still something. I remember putting it on a cassette tape and listening to it. Um, you can get it an MP3 now. Mm-hmm. So I think Sweet Apple Tracks is is the Beatles one, um, and then the George Harrison demos from All Things Must Pass. I that's just a lovely compilation, like his own Isher demos. Yeah, but if you haven't covered that by now, we're certainly not going backwards to talk about All Things Must Pass again. Another couple of episodes when the uh, box set comes out next year. Great. That's what I think I'm off that day. Um, uh, at Dogface Boy on Twitter, ask hey, what's, what's your most derided unpopular Beatles, Beatles opinion? Most derided opinion? Yeah, unpopular Beatles opinion. This is this is this is going to be Jeff Lynn as Beatle number five. Um, you know, I deride that opinion. That's an interesting <laughs> question. What would you what would be derided? Um, I don't know really. Uh, that they're underrated. The Beatles were underrated. How about that? I mean that that is a common that that um, that's not an original thought from me. That's I've that's, heard other people say it. That's David Hepworth. It's a bit of a Dave Hepworthism, yeah. Uh, well, I think uh, I think Paul McCartney t- calling his lockdown album a rockdown album is very derided as far as I'm concerned. Yes, I, I think rightly so. He just always yeah. looks on the bright side, you know, yeah, he yeah. turns that frown upside down. It's you know? the word equivalent of his thumbs up. So it's just, <laughs> that's my derided, another one. Um, at Andy Glasgow on Twitter asks, do we know definitively the last time all four Beatles were together in the same room or place? Um, likely well. option being Tittenhurst in August 69 or the Apple offices business meeting in September 69 or Friar Park in... 1970 for Patty B's birthday. Well, we've talked about this on episodes. Uh, so over to Stephen. I think uh, I would like to think it was St. Patrick's Day uh, in 1970, which was uh, Patty Boyd's birthday. And uh, there, there was an Apple assistant, Chris O'Dell, has written a book. Uh, they've all written books. Um, and she talks about this party and says all, all four Beatles were there with their respective wives or other people's wives. And um, that was the last time they were all together. Um, I would love to think that they were there and having a nice time. But that was a couple of weeks before, uh, you know, the, the all of the big fallout, the big rift over the McCartney album. So uh, I'm, I'm going to go with St. Patrick's Day at Friar Park. But Lewis and States, it's Abbey Road in August 69. So um, they certainly weren't all together at any business meeting in September 69. There was only ever a quorum of three at the September 69 business meetings. So possibly Abbey Road doing I Want You, She's So Heavy in the 20th of August 1969. Uh, It seems to be the official one, but it's nice to think that maybe six months later, as Stephen says, they were together in George's house at Patty's birthday. Okay, um, so Richard, I think we may have covered this, but I, I'll ask again. Um, Richard Adams on Twitter asks, what are the strengths and weaknesses of Jeff Lynn and Phil Spector when producing Beatles and solo Beatles records, and who did the best job? Over to Jason. Uh, well, you know, in fairness to Jeff Lynn, he's not in prison. Um, <laughs> I like that that's the best thing you can say. Um, He's in music prison, though, surely, no? Well, it's... Oh, I like it. I like it. <laughs> hey, pick a side. Um, I, 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 and again, I've said this kind of thing before. I, I do love Jeff Lynne. I understand the Jeff Lynne criticisms, and I understand you know, why you can sense Jeff Lynn from the reunion stuff that, you know, you know, we did the three anthology episodes and the, the Jeff Lynn 
issue is a is a is a compromise. Um, Phil Spector. The the thing that I don't like about Phil Spector is, you know, I, I kind of I don't like the kind of the rock and roll Lennon stuff a lot. You know, I don't. I think some of that is a bit overwrought. You know. Um, now we're establishing another point of disagreements here. Okay, go on. No, no, I, I, I think the, uh, I, I think the Lennon rock and roll album is one of his best solo works. I mean, I would much rather listen to that than, than even, you know, imagine. I would rather listen to, to Stand by Me than to Imagine. Or yeah, maybe I'm wrong. Um, then. <laughs> what, I, what I, what I don't like about Phil Spector and his, you know, he, we're talking primarily his work on Let It Be is that, you know, it took him literally an hour and a half to do that. He yes. just took the first take that he came across and ran with it. And he didn't put enough care and attention into it. There are far, there, there are a range of better takes of each song that he could have used, but didn't bother to, to look for them. Yeah, that's and, true. I mean, and, and there's a kind of sloppiness about that that I don't like. Um, yeah, the remit of the question is for the Beatles. So let's put the solo Beatles to one side. Yes, yeah, no, Spect- it's, it's Beatles and solo Beatles. Oh, okay. Well, Spectre uh, on Let It Be is it just a mess? And yeah. uh, you know, he it's it's shocking how fast it was. It was basically two weeks' work. You know, and I don't really think he cared. You know, he certainly he's inconsistent with the solo Beatles stuff and we know that he was there sometimes and not there other times and perhaps he gets too much credit for some of the stuff uh, that happened. Uh, I, you know, his greatest achievement though uh, was Instant Karma. So let's give it up for Instant I, Karma. I, I think Instant Karma is is absolutely... Yeah, that forgives everything, that, really. That, that, that forgives everything. Um, I don't think he served Lennon particularly well across albums like, uh, you know, Sometime in New York City, but I, I think the rock and roll album was good. Jeff Lynn. He's Jeff Lynn. Lynn. He's he's Jeff. Um, uh, my my issue with Jeff Lynne is simply that he brings the he brings his sound with him to everything that he does, and sometimes, uh, you, you know that that obscures the spontaneity. Uh, you, you know he is meticulous. I would like to hear the stripped back Wilburys album, the first album. You know, without the little tinkly keyboards and Tweeter and the Monkey Man. You know, it, it, he's everything is just a little bit too over egged. Uh, plus the drum sound, but um, yeah, but he's not in prison, so yeah. So it's you're what you're saying. It's the end of the line for Jeff Lynne, Stephen. Yeah, oh, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. I don't in the chamber for a while. Um, <laughs> uh, a couple more. Brendan Scott emails a question for Stephen only. Oh, okay. Okay, so it's not your pin number or anything, Stephen. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> given your well-known feelings regarding Jeff Lynne, what is your oh. opinion on Cloud Nine? And the, oh. and the three plus tracks, and also to a lesser extent, brainwashed. Um, I prefer brainwashed to Cloud Nine because Jeff's influence is a little bit more diluted. Um, Cloud Nine, I think, has some fantastic songs. I think Jeff was a very good collaborator with George, uh, but I do think it is a dated production style. I think it was slightly dated even back in 1987, um, and I would like. Uh, you know, Danny, to get the remixing tools out and uh, de lin it. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I do think he was a good foil for for George, and I think he encouraged him back into the the arena. So I think, and the Traveling Wilburys came out of it, so I think it's all good. You know, my, my dislike of Jeff is overstated sometimes. Yeah. He doesn't age either, which is sometimes... 
That's amazing. That oh, is absolutely amazing. Yeah, just, just pick a look, you know, if you don't, if people can't see your eyes, that's just it, you know. What, yeah. Just to, before we leave that, what I would say is if, if, if people have not listened to the remixed versions of the Threetles of Real Love and Freezer, oh, yeah, yeah. they're very good. Uh, they are very good. And again, they're just getting rid of a couple of layers of that um, sort of wash that Jeff puts, puts on the, on the uh, tracks. Okay. Um, two more questions near there. Uh, Jeff Bale emails asked two questions. Uh, this is a bit mastermindy, so I don't know if you can answer this in whatever you want. How many songs in the Beatles release catalog feature Mal Evans performing, and what are they? Uh, if you want to oh, take geez. that question first. Mal, where does Mal perform? Well, he, he he's on he, A Day in the Life, and he's on Maxwell Silverhammer, Banging right. an Anvil. Is he involved um, in You Know My Name somewhere? No could be he's involved in something he's mary on, jane is he in the course of mary jane don't know but he's he's there's a track on rubber soul where he gets a credit oh yeah um i don't know i'd have to i'd have to walk across and lift a book off a shelf <laughs> that's not going to happen no <laughs> um especially after your dinner it's christmas the second part of the question is which beatles and or beatles rated album has a cover that doesn't do justice to its contents Beatles or Beatle related, is it? Yeah. Huh. Uh, that's a good question. So which one has Sen the worst cover? Sentimental Journey is a terrible cover. It's a kind of really bad, snipped out picture of Ringo in front of a pub. <laughs> well, yeah, that's he, uh, he was kind of... I, I think the, the question is clumsily, maybe it's the way I'm phrasing it, which Beatles and or Beatles Raid album has a cover that doesn't do, do justice to its contents? Oh, so to what's a, inside. A good yeah. album with a bad cover would be... Yeah. Huh, I'm rattling them through my, through my head now. Uh, uh, Wings at the Speed of Sound. Yeah, Wings at the Speed of Sound is a pretty, pretty naff cover, and I think it's an underrated album. I, I think it's an underrated album. Yeah. I think the cover, the cover is terrible. Um, I think uh, so, some of John's album covers are a bit. I mean, they're they're kind of charming because they're him, you know. But something like Mind Games is a bit. It's a bit clunky. A bit clunky. Um, I don't like pipe, Pipes of Peace. Is a terrible. Yeah. Sort that's of, not that's not good but then you could argue is it is it a great album you know it, the, the, i wouldn't argue that so 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 the cover might match the the album i i think i think my my money's on wings wings at the speed of sound yeah is there any beatles one i mean obviously some of the american capital album covers that were put out without their knowledge are very very poor um in terms of the main ones, I mean, the thing is, even if they're a bit sort of off, like you could argue there's there might not be much art to, say, the Help album cover, for instance, you know, but it's passed through time as being the Help album cover, so you kind of forgive it. I, you know? I, I, I think the, the artwork on Beatles albums generally is top rate. Yeah, you and know, it's a cut you, above you, what people were doing at the time. Is, you, know, you, you know, you only have to look at Pet Sounds, where it was like, okay, we'll get you feeding some llamas or goats yeah. or something i mean uh, uh, no i i think the i i wouldn't change any of the artwork on the beatles album hmm. well bringing back to bruce springsteen all his album covers are pretty terrible the last 10 yep. 20 years are all awful and most of his albums are pretty good or at least as a good few so so some really great tracks on them but even letter to you it's just a picture of him 
Again. I am shocked okay. at Bruce. I've, I've I've had this conversation with somebody already that Bruce Springsteen's album covers are shockingly poor, yeah. uh, generally speaking. You know, like the only one that's perhaps got a certain iconography to it is the Born in the USA cover. But uh, so many other of his covers are very poor. The, the person with the the biggest artist with the worst covers, I will persist, is Mark Knopfler, whose solo album covers are the dullest, most boring PowerPoint slides you can ever see. But they're perfectly 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 representative of what's on the inside. That is possibly true, yes. Uh, yeah. Dylan Dylan has some terrible album covers. Well, well, you know, once you once you get into the kind of once you, self-portrait was obviously the tipping point. But yeah. uh, there's some terrible, terrible Dylan albums. Well, Rough covers. and Ready Way is the album from this year, which we've uh, said while you were in the kitchen there, Ada, we were saying earlier on how much we loved it. Um, that, the album cover of that is actually a stock image that was used for a free CD in Mojo magazine a few years ago, which is <laughs> yeah. quite crazy. And I mm-hmm. only realized recently, Knocked Out Loaded, the cover of that is a pulp novel from the 40s, you know, so... I, it, he seems to he doesn't care about these things at all. Yeah. Elton John's album covers are pretty ropey too. Yeah, it swings and roundabouts yeah, with him. Had a few, had a few in the early seventies. Some of the Elton yeah, but the, yeah, I should say the later albums are. Yeah, it's there's uh, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a, I'm just trying to figure. Yeah, all right, we'll end on this one. This is something a bit, a little bit different. Stephen, name every stop on the train from Belfast to Dublin. <laughs> it's been so long, I can't remember. Uh, okay, so Stephen, another question for you. Um, what is love? <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast about the KLF. What is this? Or Hathaway. Um, what is love? Love is a Cirque du Soleil show in Las Vegas. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you an interesting. Um, so Cirque du Soleil is 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 uh, George Harrison was the guy who brought Cirque du Soleil into the Beatles camp. He's the best one. He is the best one. And so uh, love was something that was happening when George was alive, and George passed away in 2001. In the last few weeks, I saw for the first time photos of from 2001, allegedly, although maybe it's 2000. I don't know if you've seen these, Stephen, of Paul and George backstage at Cirque du Soleil shows, hanging out with the cast, getting so the cast are all leaning in and in the crowd with the cast of about 20 cast members are Paul and George. And they're obviously checking out Cirque du Soleil ahead of love becoming a a, a reality. And I thought it was really sweet because you do not see an awful lot of pictures of Paul and George hanging out. So to see a 21st century picture of Paul and George hanging out at a Cirque du Soleil show, that was a nice thing. I, I have not seen that. I would like to see that. Oh, I, saw, that I, I, I saw the Cirque du Soleil show uh, last year and it was just spectacular. Um, it was just amazing. We can we can go. Uh, can we all go to yeah. Vegas if it's still you know running and when it opens up again, that'll, that'll be well, the that work, would be a the work like trip. A, it would be like a work sighting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Duffy Circus are doing a drive-through circus at the moment, which is no, there, sorry, there are other circuses available. There are other, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, drive-in circus. I don't know. Might knock <laughs> right. um, over a lion. Yeah, might like that. Um, so that's all from the. That's all. <laughs> that's all. That's worth. The that was worth waiting for. That was great. There's a, there's a couple of our, is Paul dead and all that kind of stuff, which is um, I don't. Know. I'm not. His hair side is very worse. Um, Paul is dead. Is on the. It, it's one of those list of potential episodes that'll happen at some point. Before uh, in the next seven years. Yes. Yeah, he's going to have to die at some stage. So 
He's number two in the charts. <laughs> number one. <laughs> or, uh, you know where he is. Or, or was number one. Um, well, he, he, he threatened Taylor Swift, so I can't have that. That's no. um, well, anyway, that was that was that was a bit of fun. So, so shall I do the wrap up? Shall we all go back and um, have a turkey sandwich? I'll go back to the kitchen. If anyone I know, again, I maybe have overstayed my welcome. So thank you very much for allowing me. Well, thank you. We, we look forward to the review of 2021 and doing this all over again. Yeah. So if you, obviously you can find me on, on the OnlyFans. If, you know. <laughs> that's, 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 that's right, you might think. No, no advertising. And, uh, no advertising. And thank you, Ada, for all you do. It's great. Oh, you're very kind. Very kind. There you go. So it's just you and me, Stephen. Stephen, who is that guy? Do you know who he is? I no idea. I have he no idea who the guy is. A year. He's it's like Santa Claus. <laughs> it really is. Um, so look, we've tiptoed around this but this is the end of season three uh i think 2020 we've put out a lot of nothing as reels maybe not in the uh the way we intended but we got them out there we covered a lot of ground and uh, it's been an awful lot of fun and we want to thank all of you out there for downloading us for getting involved you know it's you know all those tweets where people go hey i really like your podcast they all add up and they all mean an awful lot and we're really really very very grateful aren't we Stephen? you know we are both those tweets i i tweeted them out and uh stuck them on your wall on my wall i never tiptoe into into facebook so maybe you're all giving out about me on facebook i don't know but uh i never i let my advice to you for 2021 is never tiptoe into facebook. <laughs> okay i won't tiptoe into facebook um but seriously though and all the nice reviews are fantastic and uh i, I felt like printing off that one review from the guy who uh says we should give it all up but I, I'm not star, we had but, one 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 star review. One star review, which obviously, like good people, we kind of obsessed over and uh, <laughs> then ended up laughing at, which is quite funny. Uh, but seek that out. Um, but we digress. We're getting giddy now because we've had so much uh, um, sharing. Uh, but we are very grateful. We are very thankful. You know, we've, you know, we're, you know, we started this in May 2019. It has gone off in avenues that we didn't expect. Uh, we've done things we haven't expected. 2020 has had a, had a whole other layer to it. Um, but there will be a season four. That's the message we want to let you all know know that we're going to take a couple of weeks off and we'll be back in spring 2021 and we've got a couple of ideas uh, lined up for, uh, for for that time for season four uh, we're already got our shortlist of topics ready to go and we're also looking at some bonuses looking at you know maybe subscriptions or some extra episodes for uh, for fans as well so we'll be shaking things up a little bit we'll, we'll still be coming out in all the usual places as well but we, we're going to look at a few little extra things uh, along the way that's kind of uh, where we're at at the minute, Stephen, wouldn't you say? I think so. I think so. Uh, yeah, it's been a weird 2020. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I think I can't think of any year where you and me have spoken more to each other, but yet spent zero time in each other's company. It's really I, odd. It's I kind of like it. Let's keep it that way. Let's keep it that way. Uh, uh, no, it would be very good to get back in, into the studio. And uh, it's just been a, an insane year. And uh, this, is, this has been an interesting diversion from <laughs> keeping reality from the door. It certainly has. And, uh, and we hope that wherever you have been listening to us this year, that 2020 hasn't been uh, too difficult or too hard. We know it's been difficult and hard for lots of people. And uh, we are very happy to have... Uh, uh, given a bit of levity and a bit of uh, lightness to, to to an odd couple of months and uh, here's to a better 2021. But yes, season four will be with you. It'll be spring 2021. More of the same, a couple of different things. We're, we're definitely still be covering the Beatles, won't we? 
I think so. Uh, uh, King Crimson. Maybe we'll King Crimson. Swift. Some, some week you'll, you know, uh, I think our dream is some week everyone gets to the end of an episode and realizes we haven't mentioned the Beatles at all. And we're like, what, what have I listened to? Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but we're, we're, we're edging towards that. But look, thank you very much. Uh, here's to 2021. We will see you in season four. And uh, it's been great fun. And uh, thanks for all your messages. But for now, we remain available in all the usual places. Even though you're listening to us on Christmas Day, go off and talk to us on Twitter at Beatles Pod. Go to the Facebook group uh, and Stephen will let you join. And um, thank you for all the kind reviews. Even happy Christmas to that guy who gave us the one star review happy as well. Christmas. You know, he, he, he needs it. Um, but for now, this has been season three of Nothing Is Real. My name is Jason Carty. My name is Stephen Cockcroft. And we'll see you in season four. Thanks for listening. Nothing Is Real is powered by Acast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad free content bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.